Hi everyone. As you can see, I have a, a guest with me. Somebody a lot of y'all may actually uh, care about hearing the words from today. Okay, y'all know who it is, Mr. Don Smooth, the voice of the city over here. Salute. Blessing us on this very occasion with his presence. So welcome to Bridge the Gap. My name is Holden Stefan Roy, and the goal of this show is to do one main thing, and it is to bridge the gap of knowledge. So how it works is you have a guy like me who honestly, I did not know who you were, unfortunately, before I started this process. Cool. So in a sense, I am the right guy to hear your story because I don't have the bias and the prejudice of growing up with you, which is probably my bad, but in general, it makes me an interesting person to help look at things in your life in a little bit different. So you can explain things everyone else takes for granted. If I talk to somebody from New York, I explain this as when you feel like saying, you know what I mean, there's a good chance I don't know what you mean. And that's what we're doing here. We are bridging this right. gap of knowledge. With that, I have to say thank you for being here. Now, I believe that you would be a certified Montreal legend. And the reason I believe this is because I think to be a legend, people have to talk about you with the reverence of being mm. a legend. Now, I have on over 10 separate occasions, and I've only really been doing this for a few months with this level of everything. But on over right. 10 separate occasions, had somebody say with pride that they got hung up on you or did not get hung up on by you. As in this was <laughs> such a mark of pride and joy in right. the youthful stories of so many MCs in this city. I bet you your name is going to come up in Montreal stories of the people I talk to more than a lot of people. Uh, shout out Steph Miller for the follow, by the way. I missed that before. You know how it goes on Twitch. You got to shut the peoples out. Um, for sure. But uh, it's just such an honor. So Don Smooth, for those who don't know us, we're going to find out, is the guy who held down K103's uh, radio station. The one that basically introduced so many people to hip hop because he was yeah. the guy that held it down. He had the real taste and he was the Pearson that everybody trusted. And there's many other things as part of his legacy that we'll come to see and discover. But really, when push comes to shove, I think most people my age, at least, or for a good period around that, I'm in my early 30s, will consider you to be the main source of what's hot in Montreal for the longest period of time. So that makes you a seminal part of our mission to document Montreal's hip hop scene, especially on the Anglo side. And I don't think without your contributions, it could be anywhere near complete. On that note, wow, I would love to start this off with my token first question, because maybe your musical path isn't the same as everyone else, but you're still in the musical game. And yeah. I had this epiphany about music. My, my que this question's a little long, it's a story, but we'll get to it and it'll connect. So it starts off with my girlfriend washing some dishes and she's dancing around listening to that Black Eyed Peas song that, I got a feeling, you know, you know everyone knows mm -hmm. that one, right? But I remember right. as I was watching her dance to this, that yo, once upon a time, maybe 10 years ago or so, we was in the clubs doing that circle dance and everybody was jumping around to this shit and it was just a fucking banger and everybody was turning up and having a great time to it. Which made me realize right. that music in its timelessness kind of carries over. So like all of the club hits of today's are kind of future chore music. I don't think a lot of people are aware of that yet. So all these kids get lit today. They don't know that moms are going to be the ones dancing to their shit 30 years from now. And that made me realize <laughs> that like 
music's a lot about vibes and stuff. It brought me back to my youth. And I remember that my dad played a lot of Zeppelin on them tapes, and there was always tapes in the cars, Krista Bergs, things like that going on. My mom had a lot of discos. Like she would get those little disco cover tapes they would sell at the gas stations that were good enough, that had all the re-recorded versions and stuff. And it got me thinking about mm. vibes and how so much about music is the vibes around you, but that when most people consider a musical journey, they always start at this question, like, what was your favorite influence and what was the first thing? And that's not really where your musical journey starts. It actually starts a little bit earlier. You're like five years old, three years old, whatever, whatever. And there's a bunch of sounds going on around you. And these sounds are the sounds that start off your life. They're the chores musics, the car ride musics. Maybe it's the siblings music. Sometimes it's the grandma versus the parent music. And what I think everyone really wants to know is what it sounded like musically for a young five-year-old Don Smooth where people on the vinyls, the radios, the tapes. If you could walk us through the music of your real youth, that would be a lovely start to this. Right. Okay, that's a beautiful start. First, I got to thank you for that awesome intro. You you humble me with, uh, you know, all the things that you said and your praise. And I appreciate you having an interest in my story. And as you said, you know, we on the Twitch, right? So I got to do the Twitch thing. Just got to send a big shout out to everybody that's coming through tonight, checking out the chat with uh, myself and Holden behind that. Sue, shout out to Vanessa, T-Locks. Shout out to Steph Miller. Thank you guys for being here. And everybody that's lurking and working, we thank you. So uh, good question. You know, it started off with, like, like you said, right? We don't choose the music the first time we're hearing music we're not the ones choosing it uh it's kind of like it's the the soundtrack it's the background to to what's going on in our in our life and times <clears throat> so i grew up in the the times the musical times for me was an amazing times when i was a kid it was the michael jacksons the princes the whitney houston's the madonna's the, this is what was the soundtrack of my youth that's what was being played on the radio like i didn't seek those out that's just what was around me. It was the early MTV days and all the artists that came through through that avenue. Uh, growing up home, I am of uh, Caribbean heritage, first generation to uh, Bajan parents. So there was a lot of Calypso and reggae in the house from early as I could remember. Uh, you know, there was the Mighty Sparrows. Bob Marley, I would have to say, was probably uh, one of the biggest influences. And, you know, being a little kid, like you said, five, six, seven, eight years old, not really understanding the music, I, I had a respect for it because I saw how the elders reacted to it and how much respect they had for him and for his music. And I would hear my parents would go to the Bob Marley concerts at the Montreal Forum and come back and tell me about, you know, a smoke-filled room and everybody had little brown cigarettes and the bass was rolling. Like, they would come out and everybody would say, we had to Bob Marley show. You, you, you lost a little bit of hearing that night. Like, they said the bass was like nothing ever. It was an experience, you know what I mean? It was beyond a show. So one of the biggest uh, ones growing up was the Bob Marley. And like when I would go through the parents' record collection, the majority, there was a big bulk. That was the one artist where there was like four, five, six, seven, eight like pieces from. Whereas mm. some of the others would just be like a one piece of this one, that one. But the Bob Marley was heavy in the collection. And so like, I gravitated towards that. Like I have good memories of that. So like right off the jump, what I'm hearing is you're already invested in music from the time of being a youth. Were like your parents involved in music in some kind of way? Yeah. Some what, what did they do? Well, my mother worked in the garment industry. My father is an electrician, but he is a musician. Till this day, he performs. He's a Calypsonian that still performs till this day under the name Handy Andy. And he was heavily into music, played guitar, played piano. Like as a kid, like those were my, some of the gifts that I got as a little kid would be like a little piano or a little guitar. So music has been a part of my life from 
you know, sing from the single digit years. So were you getting like lessons and stuff as a youth with the little piano or is it just to like mess around with? So, to mess around with, but like I remember he would put the keys, he put, he took little white tape and he, and he put stickers on the keys with the CBA, like he, he broke it down on it for me. And you know, I would just play around with it, like you said, like a kid, nothing serious. Then when I got a little older, when I got into high school, you know, you had that choice of taking music, right. drama or art. Naturally, I went to music. And that's we'll when I really started learning music theory. We'll definitely get to high school, but we still got to talk about your youth a bit. There's still a couple yeah, more yeah, things we're not we got to discuss. As an example, sometimes oh, wow. I find I, out when I ask I this question that people are actually dancers. Maybe they're into the graffiti arts. Like there's a lot of elements that come around this. It's not just the music. So I'm curious if like at like your youthful ages, you're also dancing, if you're also doing some other stuff going on. You got to keep in mind now, right? You're talking about the young dance move. We're talking about 84, 85. Break dancing has just exploded globally. Everybody was break dancing, or at least we thought we were. We were doing our version of it. And I grew up in a neighborhood of uh, Park Extension where we had, they had their little crews. There was a crew, I remember back in the day, they were called the Le Chateau Crusaders. And it was a regular thing, just like you would see, if you ever seen Wild Style or Beat Street, that's what it looked like. All the, the, the schoolyards, people had the cardboard out. And like the teenage, we were the little kids, but the teenagers would be out there breaking and we'd be standing there watching them. Of course, they didn't let us come in and do anything. But uh, I, I'm, I'm so glad that I was a part of witnessing the evolution of hip hop from its early days. Wow. Like I saw the breaking when it started. I saw the graffiti when it started. Yo, this is why we have to talk about this stuff because not a lot of people know it, that this was even like going down in Montreal like that. And I'm just going to ask the token question. I forget to ask at the beginning on purpose, but are you from Montreal or are you born somewhere else? I am born, born and raised in Montreal. And which part of Montreal do you come from? And which, what is your claim? I grew up Park Extension. That's where I spent the, the majority of my life. That's amazing. I lived in Park Extension, LaSalle. Right now I'm in the West Island. But I grew up, the formative years was in Park X. That's dope. We just got to get it down. So uh, from what I understand, it's where you went to high school that counts. So it's wherever you went to high school, that is where you get to lock it in. Uh, that's how it's been explained yeah. to me. I don't know if I'm right. I just roll at it. Um, but that's dope. So you're basically in Park X saying that you're witnessing the inception of Montreal hip hops and stuff really play out. Yeah, big time. Like in Montreal, in, in that era, it was like from what I witnessed, like uh, the rap scene was coming out heavily from NDG, Cote de Neige. Uh, you had LaSalle, you had people like Chuck Ice, Gordy G, uh, Tate MC. This this was the early days, like in the in the 80s times. It was the, the inner cities as it was anywhere in the world, right? That uh, they were gravitating towards this this thing called hip hop right. and b-boy culture. That's so cool. So you're, you're young, you're watching hip hop explode. Your family's mad musical. So you're already biased towards this. Do you remember the moment that music goes from being the background to the forefront. Now this might be young for you because you were already literally digging through crates and stuff, but I find like a lot of people have like a particular song or a moment that can be like, yo, that's my shit. I know for me, it was, I was 12 years old and we heard the thong song by Cisco. And that shit was just right. the firest thing I ever heard. And we listened to it 13 times in a row. My teacher fucking hated us. But yo, that's it. I, I just fell in love with music <laughs> in a different way. It went from being something that was around me to something that was part of me. I cared about it in a different way. Do you remember that moment in your life and how old you were and what track it was, etc.? 
I mean, my my obsession to music, but I guess I guess this was everybody. My obsession uh, obsession to music came heavily during the Michael Jackson era. Like everybody knows, like the greatness of MJ, but like experiencing and living through it, it was like nothing that I've ever experienced since. It was just like a wave, like it just sucked you in, and that just you just delved into music harder and harder, and harder. It, it just created. It was just an energy that was unexplainable. But um, I guess to answer that question, I can. The first record I bought on my own that I chose that wasn't the family's collection, I think was like a Rod Stewart passion. I'm not even sure the reason why. And even uh, Queen with Another One Bites the Dust. I think that one was because of the breaking influence and because of like the bass lines. Like I would just, I remember we had like back in the days it was Sam the Record Man and uh, you would go there, they would have a list of the top 10, not really knowing anything. I'll just say, okay, what's the, the number two, the top five songs? And I'll just roll with that. And it and started building a little collection from there, not ever thinking that I was going to do anything with it. It was just like people collected records, so I was collected too. That's that's a really cool thing to have as a hobby so young. Do you remember about how old you were <laughs> when that happened, when you, when you got into it? Uh, I was a pro, I, it was before, it was way before high school. So uh, wow. maybe 10 years old, maybe 10, 11. Yeah, I, there's something about it. Like I'm a, I'm a tech guy till this day. And I was always fascinated with the turntable and one of my earliest experiences, and my West Indian people could speak on this, was that a lot of the times when we would be at the, at the adult parties, sometimes it would be the kids that would be the ones to change the records. That would be our job. We would be, that would be the disc jockey, or at least it was for me. So uh, I got familiar, and I was just fascinated with the turntable and how it Hold worked, on. and the vinyl, and putting the needle down. And I got to interject. This so, is one of those huge knowledge nuggets moments for me, because sometimes like bridging gaps happen because I did not grow up at all with Caribbean culture, thus seeing this. Like I recently learned that like part of the DJs talking over songs was a way of branding and creating identity in a competitive scene and getting artists to come through and like record for them and redo remix. Like this is all part of a culture I know nothing about. OK, so what you just said, Well, this is what gave birth to hip hop, right? But what you just said about that's what gave birth to hip hop the youth actually coming through and proceeding to be the DJs like that. Like, that was something that happened. Like, I've never heard that in my life. I didn't even know that that was a regular thing going on at that time. So, that's an amazing It was thing. regular for me. I, can, I can't speak for everybody. But like I said, that that's what it was for me. I was, I, I used to do that. That's, but that's the thing is when we look at your life today, right? There's obviously, yo, shout out Preach and Kobe with the raid. But like, when we look at your life today. Shout out to Preach. Yes, yeah, it's, it's dope, man. It's fucking cool. Um, that's actually the biggest raid I ever got. Thank you, Preach. That's fucking dope. But um, for <laughs> that's real, family, though, man. I look at your life today and you're like, you know, the legend status guy that everybody talks about with the illustrious radio career. Already at 10 years old, you're clocking that 10. Because you know, I'm a firm believer in that Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours to perfection type thing, right? Like the more practice and effort you mm -hmm. put into the different skills, the greater excellency you can achieve. With that being said, you at 10 years old are already building a record collection, but a diverse one, right? It wasn't like you said, yo, yeah. I'm just locked in. I think, yo, I don't remember the first one, but like the fact you had another one bites the dust mixed with a completely different... I had another one bites the dust at... Rod Stewart fashion. Right. That's like mad different, right? These things don't sound anything alike. So already it's versatile. No. In a pre-YouTube era, that's insane. Like that's not heard of yeah. as we get older. Most people are pigeonholed 
at this point in their life. So that's crazy. On that's... top of that, you're behind the steals doing your thing at such a youthful age because the parents just threw you on, giving you extra practice in this. You know, when people want to think about how Don Smooth became Don Smooth, these are the important details that need to be documented. But, you know, I have to jump in there. First of all, i got to send a big shout out to my guy, Preach. It was actually uh, your interview with Preach that, that where I discovered you and found out about you. And I was like, that was oh, such a you. good interview. I was like, man, this guy's doing this thing. And then I started following you up on more. So once again, Preach, thank you for everything. Vibe Tribe family on the raid. So, yeah, getting back to that. So, yeah, that was my my introduction to it. But I didn't know I was being introduced to anything. It would be like, this would be like a Sunday afternoon. The family's getting together. They're eating some good food on a Sunday, which is like really huge in uh, Caribbean culture. Sundays is very special. And I was, I guess because they trusted me or they knew I was able to do it. Like I said, I would be the one. They would have the stack of records. You know what I mean? The records are playing. So if you want to keep the vibe continuously going, you got to keep on changing the record song after song. We're talking about 45. So you got about three minutes. Okay, hold up. So I guess. Can you break yeah. down for all the people who might not know what a 45 is off the jump? I think they know. 45s are like really big back are back. Again yeah, but now. we got like people in Norway is watching. We got kids that are going to watch this. We got all the peoples. So, so for the for for the the future watchers and for the kids, a 45 is a 7-inch record made out of vinyl. The typical vinyl is 12 inches. The 45 is 7 inches. It's a lot smaller. They were really huge in the 60s and the 70s and the early days. Most of the singles only used to come out on 45. And then if it was an album, it would come out on the 12-inch. Later, of course, that changed. 45 started to fade away, and everything was being done via the 12-inch. So think about it. A 7-inch uh, record was the 45. Good to put a centerpiece in there to hold it from flying off the turntable. Okay, I didn't know what that's what that piece was for. I knew what a 45 was. Yeah. I never really connected to that's what that piece was for. So for all y'all out there that are just want to paraphrase that, because, again, just in case people don't fully follow that, you know, maybe somebody's 12 and they're like, what the fuck did he just say? Um, <laughs> basically, he had to switch it up like singles instead of albums. That's, yeah. that's, that's like a simple way to put it. But, yo, thanks for breaking it down. That's what we're doing here. We're using your brain to fill gaps in knowledge all over the place. And even the most mundane things to you might be exemplary and interesting to the next person watching this, which is why it's so cool that you're sharing that expertise with all of us. So thank you again for that. All right. No problem, man. No problem. So we have you now, maybe let's say 10, 12. You've already got some DJ game going on. So you're already out there picking different records and taking a look at different stuff. Um, so I guess what comes next in your little evolution here as you start to go through life throughout, are you starting to get an interest in DJing at this point? Are you one of those guys that's on the radio at this point starting to make little mixtapes going on? Are tapes even part of your life at that point? I don't really know a thousand percent of tech trends that people were up to at that point. Right. Um, DJing was not really, I'm not even sure. Like I knew fully knew what it was. Like I saw it. Like, out of all the elements of the b-boy culture of, of that time, of that era when I was going through, the one that fascinated me the most was the dancing. Uh, we were into that heavily. The dancing caught my eye more and, and the writing. That that really caught my eye more than uh, than actually the DJ. But um, then as time progressed, like, I don't know. I didn't really choose it. I was always into music, though. And I would listen to the radio, and it was MC Mario, could imagine, from way back when. Yo, hold MC on. Mario was the guy. How? I didn't even what? know he was in the game that long. Like, he's all part of my Yo, child. Yo, MC, Mar oh, I guess MC so, yeah. Mario, yeah. that dude has been there, like, from before I got into high school. I, MC Mario has always been on the radio in Montreal from my recollection, right? But he would have these mega mixes that would come on, I think it would be, like, 7 o'clock. It would be, like, 
the MC Mario Mega Mix or whatever it was. And it would be like a 15 or I think it was a 15 or 20 minute mix. And what caught my attention was like, how are these songs changing? And I'm not hearing the transitions. And that is when I was like, I want to learn how to do that. That's nifty. That's a really interesting like starting point. So are you in high school yeah. at this point? Uh, I probably maybe with grade six, grade seven ish, I would say yeah. So already, the but guy, I used to I used to just bug out. Like you've barely started, right? Like you you've barely started life, and you're already catching technical details that are going on. That's that's like really cool. Yeah. That's dope. So I gravitated to anything musically. So how do you actually manifest that? Because we're talking about like a pre-internet, like yo, from for me growing up, there was always a Google. So what's it like yeah. to be in that era and actually having to learn how to do this on your own? Well, that that's a good question, man, because like you said, it's pre-internet. So like you can't search these things up. You can, you can only see things in the live element or you can catch them on radio. Mm. And like, so I would hear the radio, hear the mixes, but I'm not seeing it. I don't have a visual to put with it to try to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, so basically, our, my avenue for music back then, as anyone in that time, was you just what 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 was ever was on the radio. That's what we knew. Whatever few videos we would see, that's what we knew. Unless you know we had a sibling or somebody that would visit New York and they come back with these hot tapes, and then it's like it's crazy. It's all kind of shit we never heard of before, and it was like mind blowing. But okay. we didn't have the access to it. Yo, let's pause and expand on what you just said there. That's actually big. Something we don't think about. I actually kind of remember when the release dates between Canada and the States were different, but I don't really yeah. know what it was like because again, internets and you know, music videos, everything's kind of popping when I'm in high school. Can you expand a little bit more on what it's like to be in Canada, having to deal with like a delay and trying to squeeze out what's hot from other cultures or at least the States or whatever. You, but you know what, uh, at least for me at that age, at that time, maybe like the teens or the older guys at that time, they were aware of it. We were not aware of it. We were aware, mm. we were exposed to what we had access to. Like if something came out in New York two, three weeks, we never heard of it. We like, we didn't know it existed. So when it came to us, then it was new to us, even though New York might've been bumping it, uh, you know, uh, two, three months before. And unless somebody physically brought it from New York, you didn't know, what, we didn't know what we were missing. Right. We didn't know what we were missing. Okay, that's a really fair answer. All right, so um, I guess what are you doing then to, I guess, pursue the passion of learning how to blend songs perfectly from, like, you know, a 12-year-old age? Also, what high school did you go to? I went to Sir Winston. Sir Winston Churchill, which is now Lauren Hill. Okay, that's dope. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, back to the how did you pursue this passion? Like, what was high school like musically for you? Was there a bunch of stuff popping in high school? Oh, so, like, now, high school, now we're talking about it's the cold chilling era. Biz Marquee, Big Daddy Kane. Like, you know, this is this is what's really bumping. Like, Big Daddy Kane was, like, the Jay-Z of that time. Like, right. you know, he was the dope guy. Everybody wanted his kicks, his hairstyles and whatnot. So I was heavily into that. But another thing which I guess has helped me till this day was that I never, ever, ever put music in a box. Like, I would pick up that, that Big Daddy Kane or that Biz Marquee record, but I would still be picking up White Snake or Guns N' Roses. I was a heavy, heavy into heavy metal music in my early days in high school. I, I went back and forth between heavy metal and hip hop. Okay, let's talk about your favorite heavy metal acts of that era, just so that we get that down. I'll tell you, the Iron Maiden definitely was one of the favorites. I don't know if it was because of Eddie and the whole thing, I got sucked into that. I had like the Poisons and the White Snakes, uh, the Motley Crues. I was a fan of Motley Crue in those, in those early days. 
Thank there you. was something. Let me let me let me break down something. And some of my people over forty will know what I'm talking about. They had something that was called Columbia House Records back in the days. Yeah. And they had this promotion. I think you paid ninety nine cents and you would get like twelve cassettes. Nobody ever paid after that. We would get them, get the cassettes, and it was done with that. And I guess the record labels made so much money they never chased any chased after any of us. So I paid my ninety nine cents or a dollar, and I will tell you the majority of that dozens cassettes was like heavy metal stuff. I was I was heavily into that. Yo, that's amazing. I know Columbia House. That's actually part of my story of getting into music. I can rem it was like Eiffel 65 was hot when I was going oh, yeah. to Columbia I'm House. I remember seeing it saying Abu Di, Abu Dai in the Columbia House. And then there was this big debate going on. Anyway, that's not that important. But yeah, I know Columbia House pretty fucking well. So that's really yeah. cool of you to share that that was so like, that connects you to everybody here watching is going to connect to you on that plan. Be like, yo, I have that in common with Don Smooth. At least. So definitely early 30s is part of that group. And even younger. Um, so Don Smooth is building up this fresh-ass music collection via amazing tactics like Columbia House. He's into heavy yes. metal and all sorts of hip-hop. And uh, what else is going on in high school? What's that like for you with regards to it? Is hip-hop popping off in your school? Are you seeing people become rappers? Like, is stuff actually going on? I don't know anything about what it's like to be in this era, but you said hip-hop was really starting off in Montreal at this point. So like I said, so now we, we've reached the high school age. Now, this is the time, like I said, this is the, the, the late era, mid to late 80s era. This is, like I said, when the cold chillings are really big, the KRS-1s are coming out, the MC Shans. This is the whole, the whole Queensbridge, South Bronx era when they're going back and forth with each other and whatnot. This is at least at the beginning, anyhow. So like the hip-hop culture is hitting. People are starting to travel to, to the States and bring back the clothes and they bring it back. Now we got more video. So now we're getting more visuals, what's going on. They're making more... We're seeing a lot more music videos. So now we have a much better view. We can see everything that's going on as opposed to in the 80s, we weren't seeing things as much. But at this point in time now, late 80s, we're seeing everything fully. We're fully aware of the culture, the fashion. It's just a little Greyhound ride to New York City to go down there. And you could be rocking the same Jordans that you see in the videos. And we were got, we had all the hairstyles the, and everything like that. It was really, it was moving really fast. Like you saw it everywhere. Like the girls had the big, you know, the, the door knocker earrings, like the rope chains, like you saw it. It was very vi visible. That's amazing. And at this point, are you still involved in music or are you just a fan kind of grow growing through it? Like, I don't know exactly when your career starts. So I feel like at some point you start to get more like invested into music directly. I'm, I'm still a fan. Like I love entertainment. So I would be going to any little shows, uh, any like uh, underage teen shows that I was able to go to. Uh, Checkers used to do a lot of shows. We used to just go and watch the dudes break in the spectrum, legendary spot in Montreal. Um, but at this point in time, now I'm in high school, I'm doing music now. So now I'm, I'm learning music, but from the th theoretical side. Mm, and you say in the music class now, the music program. yeah, I chose the music program. So now I'm like, I dabbled with instruments as a kid, but nothing really like fully. But now I'm actually learning theory and counting bars and measures and how to read music. And actually I was playing a saxophone alto saxophone i started that when i was like 13 years old and i played that for most of my years in high school uh played in the high school band and all of that stuff playing saxophone so then that that split my my music like there was always the 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 music like the records but i didn't take it as anything i was just collecting music but then i really started getting into learning how to play it so at this point then you're definitely getting music theory because you're learning the saxophone and there's no way you're in a band. Are you doing like choreographies? Are you like doing marchings and whatnot? Or is it like- No, we didn't, we didn't have marching band, but it was the type of thing where like, 
you know, um, we, we had the school band. So, like, you know, maybe we would go perform at another school or we would go and perform at, like, the elementary school when they're trying to do open houses to get the, the next generation of kids to come over there and stuff like that. Oh, that's dope. That's still yeah. great. It shows a really big value of uh, participating in your school band should one be available because, you know, Don Smooth learned a whole lot and look at his life today. It's definitely been a value. That's a little knowledge nugget for y'all. But, like, what happens then? Uh, does high school end before we you start your career? Or, like, what do you go to Sejep? Like, No, I'll, I'll say, I always say, like, Don Smooth, the DJ, it started at, actually, before Swinson, I even left that out. I went to a junior high. I went to a French junior high uh, to learn French between grade seven and nine, also in the in the Saint Laurent area, not too far from Swinston. So um, that's where I did all the band stuff, actually. Um, so at that at this point in time now, it's a junior high, right? So it's grade seven to nine. So when you're in grade nine now, you get to be the ones to play music. They used to have like parties at lunchtime in the cafeteria. So you had to be the grade nine kids were the ones that were able to do this. So we're in grade seven, grade you know I'm in grade seven and I'm looking at it and. I'm like, man, like, this is so dope. Like, you know, it's a party. Everybody's excited. There's, like, so much energy in the room. And I'm like, I'm looking at the DJ, and I'm like, this is the guy that's doing all this. This is the guy that's controlling this crowd, controlling this room, dictating the energy. And, I mean, I'm not thinking about it that technically at 13 years old. But I just basically said, I want to do that. I was like, that's some cool shit. Like, I saw what he was doing, the reaction he was getting. I was like, I want to do that. And that's where I really started saying, yeah, I'm going to start looking into this. And it was my goal in grade seven. I was like, when I'm grade nine, I'm going to be the guy that's going to be doing that. And it's something that everybody, all, a lot of the guys wanted to do. But I had it in my head. I was like, when, when the time comes around, I'm making sure I get that gig. All right. So how did Don Smooth get that gig? Or did you get that Truth gig? Truth be told, um, you know what? It's how, I, how I, I knew how to position myself, right? Like, there was, we also had a dance program, like I mentioned. So from grade seven, I volunteered. I would come and help set up the speakers or I would carry the speakers or carry the tape decks and carry the mixer. So I made sure that I was positioning myself to get close to, to, the, to that environment. So that just continued grade seven to grade eight. I would get a bigger role or more responsibility. So by the time I got to grade nine, it was almost like naturally, like who else are we gonna put there? This guy has been, been there since grade seven I'll be the ones doing the odd jobs that nobody wanted and, and carrying wires in the speakers and all that. So by the time it came to grade nine, I just walked right into it pretty much. Yo, do y'all know what he just told y'all? That's some big time knowledge nuggets. That's like some secrets of success. Like if you read corporate business books, it'll tell you what Don Smooth told you in a tiny anecdote. Look at what needs to be done. Learn your shit. Be available. Don't say no. Those yeah. are all parts of what you said. I'm just kind of paraphrasing it a little bit. I got you. I got you. And uh, in the end, he outshined his competition because I bet all those other people were like, no, there's a, and whatever. But Don Smooth was there. So whenever people looked around and they needed somebody to get it done, Don Smooth was there. And then That's what happened? It. Don Smooth accomplished his goal. That's amazing. That's some big time. But like, guys. you know, holding everybody in the chat, we, we know this, like whether it's the 80s and 90s or now, you put in that work, you put in the work and the consistency. If there's one thing, if people, I know people on Twitch, you guys are gonna pop in and out throughout this interview. It, it's as basic as I can make it, consistency and put in that work. It sounds cliche, but they say, what is it they say about luck? It's when opportunity and preparedness come together. That's what it is, man, there's no luck. Put in the work, you will, something will come of it. It won't, maybe it won't come right away or as fast as you want, but it will come and consistency. 
I love it. And I'm just pointing it out because sometimes I know we all know things, but what I've learned in life is hearing things you already know is a great reminder to stay focused on the goals you have. So Facts. hearing it again every day is probably great mantras. So I don't mind yeah. having everybody come through, say the same thing so I can one day go, yo, check it. Everybody who came through said the same thing. That's like <laughs> so a powerful argument, you know? <clears throat> hey, I'm, I'm, st I'm still doing it till this day, right? So that is part of what makes you legend because longevity in this game. Wow. That's all I can say is wow. Like that is an impressive feat and not just longevity. People fucks with you to this day. <laughs> no dirt on your name. Well, I thank all them people, man. I thank you all. Um, so let's go back into it. Now you're in grade nine. You're DJ Don Smooth. Do you, can you tell us a bit about, you know, some of the stuff that happened? Do you have any cool stories about being, in, you know, a 15, or I guess 15-year-old um, DJ? I mean, you must have been popular with I, the ladies. It was, uh, I, I did okay. I did okay. Definitely get a little more attention. <laughs> but uh, I, I had two stories from what I can remember from the high school days was, same thing I told you with the band, right? So... One year we, we had some exchange bands. So a band came from New York. So we had a, a band from New York and it's like, it was the lunchtime and we were doing this party. So they didn't leave right away. They came, they did a performance in the morning and they came to party with us. So here I am now, this is totally different now. I'm okay playing for my high school friends, but now here we got a room full of New Yorkers now. And I got to come and rock and play for them. And like, you know, like New York, they're gonna let you know. Like, they'll let you know real fast, you know, yeah. if you suck. If you're shit, they're going to let you know immediately. Holden, I swear you not. I don't even remember, like, I know, like, Cameo, like, Word Up and Oran Juice Jones was, like, what's popping. Meanwhile, I'm usually playing, like, Madonna and Cindy Lauper is the type of stuff that we were playing. And, like, I went to school with a lot of Greeks, so they were heavily into that freestyle music, Stevie B and Cynthia and all of that stuff, so... I don't know where it came from. It just came from within. And I just pulled out as much urban stuff as I could find. And I put on Push It, push it Salt and Pepper. This is in the height of it. Like, this is when Salt and Pepper was, like, I can't even describe it in words. And the place went bananas. And the kids, the kid, the local kids, the regular kids, were they had never seen anybody react that way. So they just went crazy, too. And, like, destroyed it. Like, from that, that was, like, one of my, that was, like, a super highlight for me. That's amazing. And I guess that gave it was you, crazy. I must have given you a bug, right? Because, yo, I think a lot, of, a lot of people who perform, and that's performing, uh, in some way, they have that moment where, like, they just taste it and they're like, yo, I'm addicted. I need this again. I can see yeah. how you have that moment and it becomes your passion for, like, the rest of your life. Like, it might have been, I could have been, like, the moment became a passion. Like, like flame got lit. That's dope. I'm so glad you shared that with us. Because, yo, that's your Oh, story. and it was awesome. I, I could still see it till this day. Like, I could still see the dance floor. That's dope, man. And I was here. Do you, it was, uh, which school, was it at your school? Uh, where was that it? was at my school. That was at um, Ecole Secondaire Saint Laurent, which right. is in Ville Saint Laurent as well. And it was bananas. I still remember it to this day, man. I was so, I felt so much pressure. I was like, how am I going to rock this crowd? Like, this is New York. This is the music mecca. Everything comes out of there. So they know their shit inside out. You know what I mean? And uh, they went crazy. They went crazy. The reaction was great. And it made everybody react the same. That's amazing. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. That's like a great litmus test, by the way. If you ever want to test your skills, impress the New York people. If you do, stay confident. <laughs> You're good for the rest of your life. 
Um, and then let me just add, and another story that I, they popped in now that I'll tell you that was over it, man. Everyone wants this to is this is uh, like I said, we're we're still in in the late eighties. Two Life Crew, Uncle Luke is making noise now. <laughs> Don Smooth, there was a song. Everybody say hey, and I don't have to say the rest. That's I was warned smart. by the principal. They, the principal saw the album covers because they would check what we were doing and stuff. The principal saw the album cover and said, Don, like, you know, you can't play stuff like this uh, inside the school. But 15 years old, you know the reaction that you're going to get. I put on. Everybody say, hey, we want some pussy. I put it on. And the whole auditorium, the cafeteria is just singing along. Principal comes down, takes the record right off the turntable in the middle of the party. <laughs> That is fucking incredible, my guy. <laughs> I love that. I bet that. And then he proceeded to, to go through and take out my iced tea records and uh, a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is you were already a legend in high school because there's no way you weren't a legend after that. That's the type of shit that makes high school kids <laughs> legends, okay? That's the type of shit like people actually talk about 20 years later. Remember that time Don Smooth put... You know, that's that shit. That's amazing that it started so young. It's um, something I didn't forget. That's dope. I'm sure there's other people I remember. Personally, I don't remember it, but that's glad because I'm not going to forget that for the rest of my life because it's a fucking yeah. dope story. Um, oh, it was crazy. So what else happened in high school that's dope after grade nine? So you're DJ man. As it progresses, what happens? So, yeah, so basically, yeah. So I'm doing I'm doing the parties and whatnot. I'm still doing, I'm still playing my saxophone on the side, but that that was something that was just being done at school. Like I wasn't really doing it at home as much. So now we're getting it. I'm, I'm leaving that school now. Junior high is over. I go to Swinston. So I come into grade 10 now. So keep in mind, I came from a school that was predominantly uh, it was mostly Greek, Asian. Uh, yeah, it wasn't as mixed to say. It wasn't as, di it wasn't super diverse, right? Um, going over to Swinston now. Swinston is like the flavor spot. So Swinston is, is well mixed. Like there's a large amount. Of, of everybody so it's very well diversified now right so i'm going over there now and it was like they were like heavily into the clothes and the gear and the style and everybody was fresh and like it seemed like everybody would go to new york and do their shopping before school in september and people were rocking you know all the hot fashions at the time so now i gotta step my game up i'm, I'm a new face you know I'm, I'm coming in in grade 10 and there's people that have been there since grade seven that have already made their name or you know become who they are so i'm coming in i'm new but uh due to playing basketball right away be playing on the basketball team made friends really quick and uh we would travel for our basketball games always had a boom box to do our warm-ups and all of that uh big daddy kane was the, always the, the the music that we were bumping to when we were doing the warm-up so music is, is always there so but now i'm i'm collecting music more now i'm going to new york in the summertime now i'm getting the mixtapes in uh in new york so and getting the clothes and getting the gear so i'm getting you, into it deep do you know what year this is approximately late 80s is uh, daddy kane's what late 80s early 90s eight uh big daddy kane is like 88 i want to say yeah i think it's like that era though. at least the beginning around of his 88 career. Yeah. um so you're you're telling us that you're popping down to new york city in yeah. fucking 88 while hip-hop's popping off do you have like yeah. any memories of what it's like to be in the mecca while hip-hop's popping off during that era going down collecting music well you have to keep in mind now at this point in time now like the 80s at that point i think these are the the, the ed koch years when ed koch was the mayor and 
And, and New York was pretty much like a wild, a, wild, a very wild place at the time. It's, it's calmed down a lot since then, if you can imagine that. But um, you keep in mind these times, because West Indians, once again, goes back to the Caribbean culture. You know, we got a lot of family in Toronto. We got family in New York. So for, for me, it was I was going down there. I was probably like 15 years old. So I'm not going to the clubs. I'm not hanging out on the block. I'm going to downtown Brooklyn. I'm buying my music. I'm buying my clothes. And like, I'm ready to go back to Montreal that day. Like, I have no interest in doing anything else. I go, I get my kicks, I get my music, and like, I'm ready to go home. I, I wasn't really venturing out. So I can't really say at that age I experienced, no. uh, experienced it fully. But you also just told us how focused and driven to your cause you are. You have missions for your trip. You weren't just vapid oh, yeah. going. And you accomplished your goals and you stayed focused and you didn't let people distract you into other things. Those are other knowledge nuggets that lead to success in a person's life. So just sharing that educated everybody on how to be more G about their business. Oh, no, man. I was a sneaker junkie. Two things I had to get in New York. I had to get sneakers and I had to get records. Like, when, and once my money was done, I, that was it. Like, I, I was, it was ready to go home. I wasn't visiting, hanging out. I was ready to go. Dope. So, all right. So, high school is going on. You got fresher. You're now mm. keeping up to date with the music. You're playing basketball. Yeah. You're doing all of that. Uh, I guess at some point you graduate and life moves on into a new era for Don Smooth, and what is that era? Well, before even all that, like while I was in high school. Let's go back to that, I, I don't want to skip stuff. I was, uh, we used to hang out. Shout out to my, my people from Park X, man. There's so many to name. I don't want to name some and forget some, but a big thing for us, what we used to do, we used to go and hang out at the YMCA, which is actually at the corner of St. Theater and Park Avenue, but it didn't look like, it didn't look like what it does now. Like it was like a borderline condemned building when we used to go there. So we used to go there after school. Shout out to Brian, Master B. Uh, he was the guy that used to run the YMCA back then. So now it was like kids from Park X, kids from Uptown, uh, my people from the East End. We would all come together at this rec center after school and on weekends, and they had like turntables and they had equipment. And then we that's when I really started messing with this. And I was like, man, I need to get my own shit. And once again, New York was always my go-to. I went to New York and bought my turntables. But yeah, in high school years, when I started to get more serious with it, we would we were down and we were practicing. Like we had a group, we had a crew, two rappers, three dancers. I was the DJ, DJ Fresh D, and uh, we would we took that and shit thanks serious. For the like bits, we would Bionic leave Pixie. You know how the bits go. When they Thank you, Bionic bits. Pixie. But yo, let me throw in something because like I didn't. I have to. I want to give my credit. You know, I mean, the same way that you know you're showing me so much love, and I get so much love from the people in the chat and people in Montreal. I got to, you know, paint a picture of the people that I came up that influenced me, man. Let's and it was it. like LDG, uh, DJ Tough. You know what I mean? These were the dudes. Like when I got serious about DJing now, I'm talking about 15, 16. These dudes were like the red alerts and the cool hurts of Montreal. Like they were legends and they were still in their 20s. They were already legends. Like they were going to New York and coming back with all the hot shit. Like they, they, they were the trendsetters on a, on a whole nother level. And it's like, they were, to this day, if you speak to a lot of DJs of, of that era and even more recently, they'll tell you that, you know, you, that's your your favorite DJ's favorite DJ is one of those two guys. Like, I came up under under that. Like, that's what molded me. For me, it was like, that's where I want to be. In grade seven, I wanted to be the guy playing the, the music at the, at the lunchtime uh, sock ops. And then when I got into the DJ world and I discovered the sounds of LDG, DJ Tough, I was like, that's where I want to be. Like, that was... And a whole nother level. 
Yo, big thanks. Because at least for me, that's a lot of stuff I have to Google that I never heard of before. And that's kind of what it was with you. No offense, but like somebody started no saying your name. I'm sure it was Preach. Yo, the Preach interview, let's be real. It was like two hours of Preach lecturing me on stuff I should have known before I talked to Preach. <laughs> and it was a big lesson in my life. And, That's uh, my guy, man. Preach. Yo, shout out Preach. Honestly, I appreciate that guy big time. But yo, shout out to the youth center thing. Um, you don't know how many, or maybe you don't, but like at least five, six, seven times now it's come up that like a youth center where people congregate and do music. And you're honestly, there's one on Harley Street where I was living at on Elmhurst for a minute. Like, right. And they got like a studio built into it. And this shit is so impactful for youth. So many people who got exposed to music like that including Mr. Don Smooth here, uh, ended up having pretty solid fucking careers for the rest of their lives. So maybe like if y'all are seeing some financial issues with a youth center in your neighborhood or some shit, fucking invest in it or do something for it. Because now that I'm thinking about it, these things are crucial for people. I'm fucking crucial for youth. And yo, I just I just like to find the patterns, right? Like, yo, everybody who's successful has certain experiences happening. Maybe these are things we should try to replicate more of in society. So thank you for sharing that as well. Definitely, you gotta give the kids, you gotta give the youth something to do with their time. You know what I mean? And we, we would be at that center and that would keep us away from, from anything else. And we were putting all of our energy into that, into something positive. You know what I mean? The city gotta provide outlets for the youth, man. Give them something to do. Yo, thanks for the bits, Preach, and a couple other people I missed. I'm sorry, Audiophile, and by, uh, thanks, and DJ Conspiracy. Yeah, I'm not used what to up, having this much fucking action on the stream. This is a first. It's fun. It's like it's like <laughs> I can't even read the chat anymore. I don't know how y'all do this. Shout out you DJs, man, because I see your shit. It's like I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? But, uh, <laughs> respect. I guess that's what the experience of the game comes with. Uh, but yeah, so I guess I don't know if there's a whole lot more going on inside a high school that's worth exploring. Because again, man, you're dropping nuggets that either people will relate to or learn from. And that's making it fire for each one that you drop. Well, I, I would just end off with the high school phase, just saying, so at this point now, it's like, all right, I'm going after this fully. I got my equipment. Um, I'm starting to DJ a little bit more outside, but still like, you know, just inside the basement, still, still a bedroom DJ. But with that, my group Fresh and You, we won a rap competition at, uh, at Checkers Nightclub. I think it was like 91 or something like that. So now <clears throat> I've entered into another world now. So now I've entered into the club world with promoters and people that book shows and then things started to change a little bit from there. All right. We should talk a lot about how things changed from there. Well, like I said, uh, Tough and LDG were, were those guys, right? So um, Gary T was, was one of like legendary promoters. That's somebody that if you want to talk about Montreal history, you got to talk to Gary T. Like he was like... The ultimate promoter, like he brought the shows. Him and Ricky B, they brought all the shows to okay. Montreal in the early '80s. And um, so okay. basically, I, I had confidence. Now I'm like, okay, I, we went out here, we rocked this show at the Checkers with a bunch of strangers. It's not just our friends telling us that we're good. And I started branching out. I was like, you know, it's time to to to, to do this a more regular. So I reached out to to Gary T, and he started giving me, you know, little chances here and there. You know, I would come and play the music when they're setting up the bar. You know, what I mean, nobody's in the club. You, you play for like that first hour, hour, two hours. And when the club, when the crowd comes, then you're, you're, your time is up. You know what I mean? You'd be the warm-up guy. But that's okay because you got to do that. You got to earn your stripes. Yo, did you hear and, what he just um, said, everybody? Hold up. We got to pause because not everybody knows that lesson. <laughs> <clears throat> you got to learn your stripes. You got to, sometimes you got to be the opener with no crowd to make the show get good. 
sometimes you just have to play that role and again don smooth legend still in the game today don smooth did these things this isn't me going to shoving it out there nobody can argue with me now don smooth did that with his actions he played the parts that needed to be played to gain the reputation and clout that required to move up the food chain of life in the entertainment industry oh yeah man it's, it's not you know i mean as with anybody any dj could probably tell you this how many parties in the beginning there was nobody there you you play for an empty when i say empty i mean just the bartenders and security but you know what you got to play the, the whole night and half the time you're not getting paid because if nobody shows up the promoter don't want to pay you but you know what whereas some people would have said you know fuck this i'm done with that i kept on coming back and doing it for me it was like all right i'm getting to practice with loudspeakers it's all good yeah and i know i, I wasn't talking to djs i was talking to rappers okay i know rappers this was all for rappers everything i just said there pay attention folks Don Smooth's career is legend, right? Let's do the things guys like Don Smooth did. I'm, I'm saying for a minute now, let's follow the DJs. Let's follow their moves. They seem to have a different approach and they seem to have longer fucking careers that pay better. So I'm looking at the different <laughs> things. I'm like, yo, come on rappers, let's look at this a little differently. What can we do smarter? You know, one of the things we suck at is those empty shows and putting that grind in and playing our part like that. And I'm not saying across the board, there are obviously many people that do everything wonderful, et cetera, et cetera. This is for those that maybe need to hear it, you know, if the shoe fits and all, you know, cause Don Smooth's story is fucking dope. Um, and I love taking any lessons we can take out of it, however they may be. Um, but that's cool. So you're doing the opener sets. You're basically grinding it through, but you're learning the circuit. And I bet you're meeting people as you're doing this. And I bet as you're doing this more, even you're meeting the guys that you're opening with, different bar peoples, you know, your networks, your little black book of names is probably good. Because you probably, how did you keep track of people? Like, this is a sincere question. I have to think about this now. I use social media fucking religiously. I don't even remember phone numbers. You had to, like, do social media before social media. Like, yeah. on a per how did you logistically do this? Well, it, it was nothing to think about because you're thinking about it now after having the technology. But at that time, you just conducted business that way. You worked with what you had at the time, which, of course, was like phone numbers. Unless you were super rich and you had that big brick Motorola, which, you know, only a handful of people had their hands on those. Most of the, we had pagers. We did a, a lot of the communicating was through pagers. Did you use you agendas? I mean? uh, you, you would have, you would have, your your phone number stored like what on pieces of paper or whatever what yo, you didn't remember we're fucking spoiled i gotta think like i'm just trying to picture <laughs> yo because you, you know what it is i got rid of paper <clears throat> in my life when i realized i was writing notes in these notebooks at work and it took me like fucking 45 minutes to make sense of shit after and i'm like this is an inefficient waste of time but if you don't have another way right just think about it. you hit search you find a person is done it's easy it takes literally three seconds you had to look for stuff. We are spoiled as fuck. But once again, you're thinking about it because you're aware of the stuff. At That's the fair. time, we didn't we didn't feel like we were missing anything. You wanted to call somebody, you looked in a phone book or you looked in a piece of paper and you called them. And it wasn't like it was difficult or mm. stressful for us. It was like, we, we thought nothing of it. But yeah, I respect that. Yeah. As much as I believe you're absolutely correct, I'll still think it's worth appreciating the way the world is today instead of complaining about it as much. So oh, if I'm like, yeah. just looking at your story like that and thinking about it, I'm like, yo, I got to be a little more humble sometimes, yo. Don Smooth had to, like, post it his life. <laughs> hey, you you could talk to people in the chat. I'm one of the... I, 
I mean, it's not that I hate talking to people. I love using the social media and the texting. I find that it's way more efficient. We communicate faster. When you get on the phone, sometimes, you know, it gets a lot of rambling goes on. I, I embrace technology. I, I love it. I'm not one of, I don't fight it at all. I appreciate that. I love the fact that you even said that because people sometimes can be a little bit uh, afraid of um, of technology. So Don Smooth embrace y'all. Y'all y'all are doing it though. Y'all are on Twitch. Y'all are fucking crushing it. Can I just go? If y'all are not fucking following Don Smooth, it is mandatory to follow Don Smooth on Twitch and go show some. I like that. Logic. Mandatory. It's mandatory. The guy did so much for the city and he's there. Like anybody out there that's like, yo, Don Smooth, good memories. Go fucking show love. Like it's that easy. It's mandatory to me in my opinion i appreciate that you don't have to agree with me um but you should because go follow down smooth uh all right so let's go back to your story because I, I like the tangents but i do want to make sure that we because I, I don't know if we'll finish your whole story in part one i'm hoping there's a part two in the future i'm not gonna lie but like i feel like it's worth documenting it all you know like whatever we can get through because if it takes multiple parts and we get like the complete Don Smooth experience, we can, you know, maybe who knows, maybe release it as a super video one day. The fucking <laughs> potential in the future is there. Um, we got time, brother. That's what we can do that. We can do a part two for sure. I just don't want to make you feel like we were rushed and you got to miss shit because, yo, people's fucking with it. And I know that because people always love this shit. They always love hearing about you, the person, the person that they looked up at. They like hearing about your regular stuff, the stuff that you consider regular. And then all of right. us are like, yo, that's fucking fire. So that's why this is dope. And then it's not rushed. Nobody ever has to stress. And then you can tell us all sorts of crazy fucking stories about what it's like to be popping off in the clubs in the late 80s, early 90s in Montreal, being a fucking yeah. DJ. Even if it's an empty It was good night, times. Like shit. If I had that on my resume, I'd be fucking bawling in my mind <laughs> so I, I officially i i marked 1992 is when i consider like the birth of don smooth because that's when i started to get paid like I all like the that. other years i was never getting paid to dj but that's when i actually started getting paid so that's when it became professional so i, I marked 92 as my official starting year and my first big gig i was like i came out the gate real strong um i opened up for ice cube and the lynch mob Del the Funky Homo Sapien, WC in the Mad Circle, uh, who else was, and Yo-Yo. Yo-Yo actually didn't make it to the show. That was my, my, like, boom, here you are. See what you can do with this. Did you hear what the guy just said? Almost like, I mean, he tried to get away cash. It's just too much, man. Yo, first of all, I love all the names you mentioned. And that is like some fucking golden eras for a lot of these people that you mentioned. It was crazy. And you were the guy that like did the opening DJ set because I saw Wu Tang recently, and they had yeah. like a DJ who came through and did like a fucking bless ass set for an hour, and it was a much better time than what the sound engineers did to Wu Tang. It wasn't Wu Tang's fault. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what I'm understanding is, in that kind of a context, you're the dude that's opened up. I was the dude. Yeah, bro, that is that is amazing. People need to know this. It was at the Rialto Theater, man, and it was in February uh, 1992. I remember it so clearly, and it's like, not only, like, I was the opening guy, but the way it was done then, shit was more casual. Like, you you got away with a lot more. The hip-hop, it wasn't so regimented with, all, with the tour managers getting involved in and everything. So, like, I literally was on stage for the whole show, offside to the stage, and I played in between every act. Whereas now, it's like, you're a warm-up guy. Once your time is done, the show starts, you go away. It's this star time. But I was the one playing in between the acts. Okay. So literally you would be there. and we, So you're on stage with these guys. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. See and uh, I remember I remember WC in the Mad Circle. At this point in time, WC in the Mad Circle is not really super no super super known. Like you know of them, but they didn't. They didn't. This was pre uh, Gangsters Paradise and all the shit that Coolio did after. So I just remember like they would come in, in real casual. They're always smoking, and they were doing um, they you were doing could, their you could smoke back then. Inside. <laughs> I turned. Now wouldn't you trade that? Wouldn't you like to go back to that time? Dude, I turned 18 the year it became illegal. I never... Oh. So imagine that. Imagine. the literally 17 people can smoke in bars. I'm, I'm a goodie. I'm not doing this shit. I turned yeah. 18. I'm in the West Island. All the bars in the West Island close. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is oh, crazy yeah. to hear about. Because again, uh, I don't get those moments. Show, Blunts was like mandatory in a hip-hop show. Like that was... No. It, it, they went hand in hand. So here I am. I'm at the sound check now. And it's um, Crazy Tunes was the DJ. Uh, it was Dubsy. Coolio. At this point in time, I don't really know who these guys are. Uh, I know the name, but I'm not really familiar with the music. I wasn't buying a lot of West Coast music. And I just remember Coolio just freestyling and twisting his hair. That's, that's pretty much what I remember the most about that. And like Crazy Tunes was real nice on the cuts when he was warming up. But the best part of that show, so the show was crazy. So Del the Funky Homo Sapien, this is the Mr. Bobalina, Dob Dobalina era. I played that record before Del uh, went on stage. What up? Being is a, a rookie. Is that a party foul? Being a rookie. I found out that night, but that's how I learned that lesson. The manager lost his shit. I don't know how they didn't throw me out. They were outraged. They shut everything down. And I was hearing it like crazy. But they managed to let me still continue and do my thing regardless of that. But that was a, a lesson I learned. It's like, okay, anytime you're DJing a show, never play any of the artists that are on the show. None of their music, especially their hits. But that was me being a kid and not a teenager. Not You know, I didn't, I didn't pick up on it. I just got carried away. I was like, oh, man, the crowd is so hype. And I just dropped it, not realizing, no, you don't do that. It's not cool. So I learned a lesson with that. But... That night ended very well. This, like I said, hip hop was not the glamour, uh, multi-million business that it, that it is now, or multi-billion, I should say. End of the night comes now, uh, Black Sheep was there as well. Wow. Uh, Ice, Cube's, Ice Cube's lynch mob has no transportation. So a bus has come for Ice Cube, WC has been picked up, Black Sheep's been left behind, the lynch mob's been left behind, and they're like, we're like, yo, this is how casual shit was back then. So me and my dude, he had a van that brought my, my stuff there. We're like, yo, we'll take you guys to the hotel. Hop in the ride. We're, we're, we're driving around Montreal with the lynch mob and, 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 and dress from Black Sheep. They're smoking down the van. <laughs> and we're like, you know, like 17, 18 years old. And this is like, it's, it was insane. That's how casual shit was. So we're in the wow. car now. So these guys are like, they're smoking down the, smoking down the, the, the van like crazy. Because that's one thing. They always respected Montreal weed. When, when rappers came up here, <laughs> one of the first thing those rappers wanted, they wanted the Montreal weed. News traveled very quickly on the quality of Montreal weed. That's one thing I could tell you that was consistent backstage. They always wanted Montreal weed. That was mandatory before they performed. That's amazing. So, they're smoking, they're smoking in the van, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, holy, like, this is the lynch mob. This is, this is Drez, like, after engine, engine number nine days, like, I'm like, I'm blown away, but we gotta play it cool, right? Like, okay, okay. And um, 
So we're driving now. We wanted to go to um, an after party. We were, we were going to go to Checkers, but then we got there like it was too crazy. And I guess like the security didn't want to be responsible for having them guys in the club and whatnot. So it was like, they, they didn't really care. So we continued going on to bring them to the hotel. The whole ride now, my, 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 my buddy's bumping one of my mixtapes because I was always making mixes. But back then it was, it was not a mixtape game. I made one copy. I put it in my friend's car and we would drive around wherever we go and that was our soundtrack. So Lynch Mob's like, yo, that's dope, man. I want that cassette. And in my mind, I'm like, that's, like, that's my masterpiece. I only have one copy. And my buddy's like, like, what are you doing, man? Like, the guy's like, yo, gave me $20 US. I was like, here, you can have that. Take that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. You can have that. I'll make another one. But I didn't even want to part with that cassette. But he was like, yo, man, that cassette's dope, man. I want it. And my natural reaction back then was like, I didn't have a copy. I wanted my mixtape. I was not giving it away regardless. But dude gave me a $20 US. I was like, all right, man, you can have that. And my buddy's like, dude, that's the lynch mob. Your mixtape is going to California right now. Like, oh your, your music's going to L.A. My dude, that's amazing. Define your mixtape. Let's pretend that, like, again, there are always going to be people here that might just hear that nomenclature and it just goes over their head what that really means. What is a darn smooth mixtape? What is on this mixtape that fucking went to California with the lynch mob? Oh, man, it would probably be like a lot of Brad Nubian, I would say at that time, maybe like Jungle Brothers vibes. It was on some De La Soul type shit. It was like, we're talking 92, right? So it's it's right before the Nas and the Biggies. So uh, very, very East Coast. I always played a lot of East Coast stuff, but it was predominantly, it was all hip hop stuff. Mm, fair you know, you would get the uh, Souls of Mischief and different things of that nature. Like I was heavily into stuff like that. That's a pretty eclectic mix, though, right? Because at that time, as I understand it, it's not as simple to like get stuff from all over. Yes, a lot of this stuff was popping, but you got like some underground fucking West Coast shit with that Souls of Mischief. Like, you know, yeah. I know it's hot now, but like that's that wasn't like the biggest shit, as I understand it, right? No, and, so and Cap Low. But you, I loved Cap Low. But you also had that next to the fucking De La Soul. Yeah, that's New York. That's a whole yeah. different or Jersey. They might be Jersey. I might be wrong. That, that part yeah, but of the they're world. still considered from that tri-state <clears throat> area. So, do y'all hear how good that ear is? So early on, I just want people to like know that that is actually fucking impressive, especially in a pre-fucking YouTube era, my guy. Like that is worth noting about. I'm yeah. a, I'm duly impressed. Duly impressed. Well, like I said, at this point in time, I'm immersed in it. So I'm studying the music and I'm like on top of what's going on. Now, like I'm like I'm a junkie. I'm buying I'm in the record store every week waiting to see what's coming out. Like that was my job. I was I would go downtown to get the hip hop records. I would go uptown to get the Calypso and the reggae records. Like I was traveling. That was my routine every Thursday and Friday. I'm in the record store. That's amazing. And I say it's amazing because like you say it so like, yo, that's just what it is. But like. I understand a little bit what it is to go through a musical journey where you condense a lot of new listening on a frequent basis over and over again for a long period of time. By no means am I a DJ, but I went through that as an album reviewer. So the actual level of effort it takes to consume that much new music frequently is actually high. Like it's not yeah. the simplest task or thing. Like it is an effort of discipline because there might be some days you just don't feel like doing it. And you still probably did it because that's what you do. 
But you know what? So, to be honest, I, it never felt like that. Like mm. I would sit down, I could just sit there and listen to music for hours on hours. And I, I know my mother started getting concerned. She was like, man, she's like, you're spending all your, what are you doing with all of these records? Like it's it starting, she, I think she started getting concerned because it was started taking up a lot of space. And she's like, oh my God, what is my son doing? He's spending every penny he has on, on vinyl and music. But and to them, you look crazy because, you know, they're coming from a record collection. Maybe they got 50 records. And here now I'm, I'm, I got them by the hundred and they're taking up space. And she's like, don't you think you have enough? And I'm like, you don't get it. I have to keep, I can't stop. I got to keep buying. And that I don't get it adds with in this time being your age where you're at in history, there's this extra level of nobody knows what's coming. Nobody understands mm -hmm. how this is really going to help you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's respect. That's, again, an effort of discipline. You still had to fight the battles to get there. I'm just saying. There was a level of something you had to go through to overcome a hurdle. I'm sorry, but you're just too incredible. Like that, Even if it's like the financial discipline of having the money to be able to maintain that habit, because that sounds like a, a, a pricey habit. A very pricey habit. We're talking, you know, records of vinyl was, you know, maybe $7, $8. And then over the years, then it went up to like maybe $10 each. And it's like, you know, you, you go to the record store, you want to leave there with 30, 40 records, but that's, you know, three, $400. You know what I mean? Like, Good investment, if you ask me. Turned out. I still, I still got all of my vinyl. <laughs> all of it. Yo, one, do you, still, you ever going to do a vinyl tour stream? Let's ask a my you know, question. I, I, would, I would love to do it. And, and maybe I will. That will take time just because I have everything in storage. And to do it properly, to go through everything. But I, I would love to do it just to just to go back and, and get the feel and, and show people that side. I've seen a couple of DJs doing it and, mm. and, and I respect that. Like, you know, give people a different look because everybody sees the laptop DJ, but a lot of people are not seeing that element. Like the record actually comes off. Like I'm I put on another one. Is if you ever open up a YouTube channel and as Don Smooth talks about a record and you make seven to 15 minute videos of you describing your love and passion of particular records, I would subscribe to that and then hit up that Patreon after is all I'm saying. Truth be told, I actually, I have. There's been a Don Smooth YouTube page for years that I did, Don Smooth 514. And I just posted like some stuff from the stuff that I caught at concerts and stage. And I have my interviews from the radio station. But to tell you the truth, like, and I, I wish that I had done more with it back then, as they always say in hindsight, if I knew then, if I knew now, you know, if I knew then what I know now. Um... I, I just used it. It was just like, okay, you got a YouTube page. When I go to concerts, I'll put up some footage, whatever is cool. But I was so into the moment and the live element. For me, it was all about the shows, being at the shows, being at the mm -hmm. concerts, being at the parties and all of that. That, Yeah, the streaming stuff was cool, but it wasn't my priority at that time. I was saying just more in the future. As a future, <clears throat> like a, I would watch you on YouTube doing that. Even just oh, that's a, something we, we'll talk about. I'm just, I would personally watch that. So I'm saying it's a fucking, I'm sure a lot of people will watch that. I'm saying Don Smooth's thoughts on classic records. Fuck, man. That's got to be something people want to hear about. Anyway, let's go back to your story. So you're yeah. in 92, 93. You're in a car and you fucking just sold your fucking first mixtape. Yeah. Without planning to, to yeah. <laughs> a celebrity. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You must feel like the shit. I don't know how was that like. But you, uh, in hindsight, now I'm like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, I guess that was a pretty epic moment. But I was still, I had the DJ mentality at the time. I wasn't thinking, yo, your mixtape, you know, it's going global. A member of Ice Cube Inner Circle got your mixtape. Whether it does anything or not, the fact is they're aware of you. They've heard you. In my mind, I was really stuck on the, I only had one copy. That was my only copy. That, that was, 
my my premier thought. But yeah, whatever. It, it uh, they went along with it, and then after I appreciated it for what it was, and I said, man, that's actually pretty dope. That like my my mixtape is bumping out there in L.A. with Ice Cube and the Lynch Mob. That's amazing. And I mean that, like, that's a truly amazing story. Like, I'm thinking about it as a YouTube clip. How Don Smooth sold a fucking mixtape to the lynch mob. Like, I'd click on that. <laughs> You'd click on that fucking video if it was somebody else's <laughs> name. That's your story, though. That's that's what yeah. makes this incredible, is that we get these moments. But, you know, Holden, when, you, when you're going through it, when you're looking back at it, you know, it looks really dope and all that. But at the time, you're just living life. You're like, you're just on to the next. It's like, okay, that was a great moment. And we, we just, we're constantly moving. You know what I mean? Looking back at it, I'm like, I've had some wonderful experiences I, and I'm blessed. I'm very grateful. Um, I've had some amazing experiences that I was like, that will last me a lifetime, man. I'm, I'm very grateful. Still, you're sharing those with us and a lot of people are reveling in them. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, like, we're still over 30 people watching, right? That's not like an insignificant number of people that Thank you, people. your stories, right? And the chat Thank still you. keeps going. Yeah, apparently Thank Don you. owned his own record shop. He said, "Don't forget," but I don't know if I knew that. Did you? When did you own a record shop? Is that coming? So your I story just have yet? To, I was uh, I was a manager at a record store. Mm. It was actually shout out my guy uh, DJ Quest. Uh, DJ Quest and myself were the managers at Street Sounds Records, which and was actually the name of the radio show that I ended up doing many years later. So I guess I don't know if you know that's a frequency thing. Um, but yeah, it was actually, it was a black owned record store in Burgundy across from Lionel Groom Metro station. Uh, shout out. It was owned by Eddie Lewis, John Soso and the same DJ tough, Mike tough Williams. So they owned the shop and they had me and quest because at this point now, Don smooth quest, we're bumping in the clubs. Like we're, we're the regulars. We're the when guys. This in the club. Let's find a time. This has to be 96. All right. So if that's 96 and we're only at 92, that means it's the future and we'll get there, but it's dope <laughs> that it came up. Just in case we don't get there now, that's still fucking dope. It came up. So good call yeah. asking that question, Mr. Forever Preach. Go follow Preach if you want to hear the fucking fire tunes and you're not already following him. That's family, man. Forever Preach, that's family. And you know what? Just, I know we're going back and forth and stuff, but it, it means so much to me when, when I hear Preach say that he bought his first record from me at, at Street Sounds. Like, the fact oh, that I'm a he part literally of just memory. put that on fucking chat. So I don't know if you read the chat <laughs> or if that was just synergy, but I swear I was about to say that. And then you said it. That was fucking eerie. Oh, wow. Because like, I, I think I heard him say that with you. And I was mm. like, the fact that I'm a part of someone's memory, but that's like, you can't put money on that. Like that's oh. invaluable for me. So if that's a way that you can value currency, my guy, my channel is just full of people talking about you. Thank you, everybody. I Thank swear. You for taking the time. If I were to ballpark it, it's 15. It's about 15 people who have brought you up <clears throat> in a meaningful way and not just like brought you up. I mean, your praises were sung. You are the guy. Your word and your taste meant so much to so many people. I can't make this up. It's all on the fucking channel. I can back that up. <laughs> I don't have that, but one day we'll make a Don Smooth is the shit compilation if you want to. <laughs> Fuck it, we'll do that one day. I'll tell my boy to start watching for Don Smooth is the shit clips and we'll start collecting uh, them. And then one day you'll get like a two hour straight video of people talking about Don Smooth. This is classic. I swear, this isn't like a claim I can make for anybody else that's claimed legend. And you're not even claiming legend. You're just saying, Not at going, all. Wow. But I mean, it's kind of what it is. 
mean, that's going to be like in the future when we talk to a lot more people. So it's extra meaningful, but you can expect mm -hmm. that one day. Just this montage of the Don Smooth praise coming up one day. Just because that's dope that it really. And I confidently know that in my list of Montreal artists coming up, your name's just going to keep coming up because so many people did your freestyle thing. So many people did it and they all loved it. So many people listened. So many people called in on their phones. I got hung up on by Don Smooth and it was okay. Yo, Don Smooth, man, I went five times in a row. I'm the motherfucking champion of the world. You don't understand. <laughs> it goes like that over and over and over again. The rest Well, of I got to be clear. I, I, I got to be clear because there might be some blurred lines. There was, I did um, a Montreal battle where it would be like two artists used to battle of the tracks. They used to battle on each other on my show. But then if you're talking about the freestyle on the air, that was actually off the hook with CKUT, with Buddha Blaze, mm. uh, Flow, and so all of that. So what's crazy is you're getting all the credit, even if you're going to clarify it. I swear. You fucking yeah, yeah, get brought up. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Those are my dudes. You know what I mean? I ain't going to take credit That makes you amazing. That, that but, I didn't do. <laughs> that's the level of like grandeur your name's at. That like you literally have to clarify it because everyone else is remembering shit wrong. That's nuts, my <laughs> guy. Well, that that's one element that they got blurred. I mean... Don't get me wrong. I actually, I was on that show as well. I, I did the uh, Off the Hook show with Buddha Blaze and Orion from Shades of Culture and Flow. But uh, that was their show. That was their concept. So, I mean, credit to regardless them. of the concept, it was you that they remembered mattering. And I don't mean to take away from anyone else. I know everyone else is important. That's not the point. <laughs> I just have the facts I have as presented to me as I go on this journey. Right. And that's cool. actually why it's dope that you're here because you can clarify some shit and make sure all the other people go flowers. This isn't meant to be the history part. The history part's down the line after the stories are collected part, right? Like, first we have to hear everyone out. Then we can see what the fuck is up, right? There's just so much data and information coming in. Even on this interview after, we're going to have to watch this. There's some names we're going to have to write down and fucking go put on lists and figure out who these people are. And it's right. going to create this picture so that, you know what, the future of the youth... They can go, I know who Don Smooth is and exactly what he did. Well, that's great. You know, I mean, it's always good to know what came before or it, it explains things. Like after this interview, you'll probably have a better understanding of the Montreal scene. Like, because I'm taking you behind the curtain and you're seeing the inner workings of how a lot of things develop. Like I said, I was very fortunate to be in an era where I witnessed, I, I saw a lot of things at the transitional phases. So I saw what it was before and then what it became. Mm -hmm. So I really have good understanding of it because of that you know what i mean i was in the clubs i was in the, in the house parties the basement parties when that's the only place you could hear urban music was a, a high school cafeteria on a saturday night to where it became the must go to music on crescent and on saint laurent and in all the bougie places like i saw where it came from and where it went yo that's why you're so important and that's why we have to get your story down all right so 92 93 you sold your mixtape you got over yourself you understood how big it is what happens next for you what's going on in their life so now, like I said, things are, are, are growing, growing more and more, uh, more confidence DJing. Um, so now it's like, at this point in time, you know, I think most DJs start out as bedroom DJs. Then you might start doing a little house party here and there. Started getting into doing like church basement parties. That's where a lot of the urban parties were back then. And then I would say like 94, like the go-to club in Montreal in the urban scene, at least, that was playing hip hop reggae calypso downtown was Club Motions uh, on Mackay Street. And... 
I got, I started there in 1994 and that's when everything really took off at a different speed. That's when slowly but surely I became a household name. All right. So we need to expand on that a little bit more. What's it like yeah. in that vibe? Why is this so significant? You know, a little bit more about what it is to be that DJ. Well, like this is, this is the <laughs> Apollo for DJs, right? Like once again, you're going to, you're, you're going to hear the name DJ tough come back a lot because he was like a foundation of, of the urban scene in Montreal, right? Um, so he was the resident DJ there. Uh, Donald D, who went on and, and is still one of the legal, uh, record label uh, people at uh, Warner, he, the two of them were the DJs there at the time, right? So like this was like, you had to have your A game. You couldn't be trying to DJ at this point. Like they were very, very selective to who they even let in the club to party, much right. less who they let play. We got to pause for a second. What's uh -huh. the difference between an amateur DJ and an A-game DJ? Because if you were to ask me, I don't know that I could even answer that question a little bit. It's just to me, they're all doing things I can't do. <laughs> in, in other words, you do what you do well. Like, you you, you could be an amateur DJ and be real dope because, you know what I mean, every, every master was once a student. But, um, like, at this point in time, like, you got to come in and you got to deliver there's no, you come in and your mixes are offbeat or you lose the dance floor. That's it. Like, you're gone. Like, they're not just putting any and anybody there because it was the go-to spot. People were lining up to get into this club. DJs, every DJ wanted to play there during this time. So they had the pick. They, they weren't taking anything less than what they considered, like, you know, A-level. So. Are you, like, lugging crates around a full of records? Yeah. Can we hells talk yeah. a little <laughs> bit about the literal logistics of being a DJ? I do right. know what this is, but I'm asking this in a more like stupid kind of way for the sake of, again, anybody in the future that we can all learn right, from right. your expertise. Walk us through like what it's like to be a DJ logistically at this time. So we're, we're talking about the, the, the mid nineties now, right? So it's pretty clearly pre Serato, <clears throat> pre laptop DJ, uh, even like pre CD, CD DJ more or less. So on average now, if I'm going to go and DJ a club, I got a pack. I started off with milk crates. Like, literally, we would go in the back of, of, of the Kushtards in the depths, grab up a couple of, of milk crates when they were in the lane, throw them in the van and drive off. Because where else are you going to get milk crates from, right? You can't go and buy them in the store. So you'd have to wait <laughs> until the depths, till the depths of the grocery stores put them out, and that's how we got our milk crates. So, boom, I'll pack up the milk crates. You bring three or four milk crates to a party. Uh, the, the funny thing, and every DJ that carried crates will tell you this, everybody was your friend at the beginning of the party. I used to walk in with my two empty hands. Your friends are more than willing to carry the crate because they're walking past the line. They're, it's like a parting of the Red Sea when the DJ shows up. Everybody sees the DJ and who's with the DJ, and you just walk in. And at 3 o'clock now, those friends are just giving you a bounce saying, man, it was a great night, and you're left with those three, four crates yourself. I'm not saying that happened all the time, <laughs> but it did happen, right? But I can't be mad. I can't be mad. At the end of the night, people are tired. They don't want to be bothered. But uh, so, yeah, you, like you had a crew, like literally. And some guys, they had a crew. Like if they had a crew of guys that would just carry the records. You had guys that would carry you because you have like three or four crates. And they had dudes that that's what they did. They would just carry your crates for you. So logistically, I'm thinking, you know, if you know what a milk cart looks like, maybe about five of those. You're, you're, you're packing up about five of those. And, and maybe a, a bag to go and, and, and play a gig. Damn. So you asked, that was that was probably <clears throat> no, I got a next question. Because yeah. yo, 
I got like Spotify, so I can easily find what I'm looking for. How did yeah. you know where shit was? Like, I know for you it might be innate. I'm just like, did you have like a filing system where like you put certain types of things together so it was simple to like grab shit? Like, was there like a way to optimize that process? Well, I'll tell you what. At home, I had everything broken down by genre and by alphabet. So like the reggae was in one place, the hip hop was in one place, and everything was alphabetical. But to DJ... <clears throat> I made my crates, like I said, I would make the reggae crate, the soca crate, the hip-hop crate. But after a while, the record labels, there was a visual, right? Like, I'm not scrolling, looking at files where you have to know what it is to find it. I would look at it and be like, oh, that white and black cover, that's Bad Boy. That's anything Bad Boy. Oh, this yellow cover, that's Snoop. Or this, like, we, we, I got visual with it. I could just look at the top of the crate, and I knew where things were based on the, the, the record jacket. That's amazing. So while you're doing your set live, right? Like, cause again, like I'm not a DJ. I fuck around and curate music is the closest yeah, yeah. thing I can call myself. Okay. Like, and I'm terrible. I hit random, but like, what's it like to like actually read a room and, and like do that part of it? Cause you know, a lot of us, we don't appreciate the DJ maybe because we don't even really know. I mean, I know, but like, they don't necessarily really know what the fuck you're doing while you're looking at the people like walk us through a little bit of that like reading a crowd and just knowing what it is to pick the right records and shit a good dj and you have <laughs> to be aware of your crowd a lot of the times as djs and if a dj is looking down that's a problem right there a dj has to be scanning the room and you read the room you feel people's energy you know it, it, it's very important and an art that i find is lost is that people come out so late we miss that that whole setting the vibe from like maybe like 10, 11 o'clock. Everybody shows up at like 12, 31, and they want the party to be lit right until three o'clock. And then they're mad when the lights come on. Um, but you, for me personally, like it, it just comes natural. Like you put on some stuff and you'll see people at the bar when they're getting comfortable, like they, they'll be tapping their foot or they'll just be nodding their head. So you're like, all right, I'm gonna give them a little more of that. You might put something on and you see like the whole room is cold, like there's no reaction. So you're like, okay, I'll pull back from that. And then you just, it's, it's a game. You just play with it like that. Like you can, you can watch people's body language and you can get a good idea of what they're going to like. And then, you know I mean, bless you ladies, because there ain't no party without the ladies. You got to watch the ladies. Because if the ladies are dancing, that's your, your, your job is more than 75% done. And you'll always have that group of girls that they'll be, you'll see them vibing. And those are the girls that are going to come on that dance floor when nobody's dancing. And they're gonna make everybody come on the dance floor. You know what I mean? So you 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 watch the crowd and you can get an idea of what vibe to take it in. And I guess in a sense then, if you're a regular at a lot of these places, you're gonna to get to know the crowd in a more intimate way. Because exactly. you're gonna literally get to know these people and know, okay, those are the ones I gotta fuck with on this given night, because every time those are the game winners. And you can start to like yeah. be like hella strategic with it, right? But you see, another thing to hold in that, that's changed was that in my early days of DJing, it was more our job to introduce brand. You were a hot DJ. If you could introduce new shit, it was hot if nobody ever heard it. It's kind of reversed now. Whoa, like okay, now okay. Let's talk about that. If, if, you, if you were the guy that came and played the brand new Beanie Man or the Shabba that nobody ever heard, that was the shit. Like, that's what DJing was in that era. Like, you had to be the guy playing the shit that nobody else had. Or be the first one to drop it. Like, the people in the crowd didn't have to know it. It was almost like 
being a part of something, the fact that you didn't know it, it was like, oh shit, I'm here and I'm hearing it here from this guy. Like, wow. Yo, that's huge. That's huge. I didn't even think about that. Yo, shout yeah. out Adrian Frost, according to WiseBot. You're new on the stream. Shout you out. And all the other people. I see Lindell's there because, you know, he's taking a second here. I saw Rico Blocks popped on. Yo, we still going what strong, Rico? my guy. We going strong because you are that interesting. I just want you to know that. This is not like <laughs> me trying to, like, you know, go too far with it. But I watched a lot of the successful podcasty versions of me, and they all do that a lot because it's important to remind you that everything that you talk about is something people want to hear. Well, I appreciate it, man. And like I said, I appreciate being here. Shout out Rico Blocks. Uh, you just mentioned someone else. Oh, yes, Adrian Frost. That was a dude that I DJed with coming up. That's a, a friend of mine from high school, man. We, we were DJing high school era at that time, too. So he, he, could, he knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's amazing. And now we're all learning a lot more because even what you just told us about being a DJ, that's fire. So, like, yo, you learn your records by color. So it actually adds this whole element to covers. Now, you know, thinking about that, there's going to be people who reverse engineered that fucking thinking and said, yo, I need to make sure that my cover is something the DJ could. And apparently Bad Boy and Snoop were, were really on point with that. You know how I know? Bad, you said like, that people shit. People take it for granted. Every Bad Boy record, when we got the 12-inch, I'm not talking about albums. All right. I wish I had one here I could have showed you. But every Bad Boy record had the, the Bad Boy logo all around it, like how they do Louis Vuitton, like it was all over it. So the minute I looked at my crate, I could see the Bad Boy records. I didn't even have to take the record out. I could just look at the top of the crate and I always could identify where the Bad Boy was. And that was amazing branding on their part. So The record stood out. And I know for Bad Boy in particular, they actually do think about that level of everything because I talked to one of the original engineers at Daddy's House back in the 90s and he was breaking down how it was like working for their marketing team and the way they structured everything. So I promise that was deliberate. They knew what the fuck they were doing with that. And that's why it's super interesting to look at these little details because, yo, I mean... I don't know how that translates into the modern era. I don't think anyone knows what album covers are going to become now because it's weird now. I mean, sure, vinyl well, that's it. is weird. Like, do people still even really, like, mess with albums? Like, yes. It's such a single-driven no, time. It's not true. Yeah. I do reviews. I don't do them as much. But, yo, you just have to look at the top five Grammys this year for nominations. It's Royce the 5'9 mm -hmm. with this beautiful album that we all listen to beginning to end because he tells stories and talks about real shit the whole way through. You got RTJ4 by Run The Jewels. My God, this is my album of the year. Any track on that album I can listen to. And I can listen to that thing cover to fucking cover. Now, I can But you're not, the average, you're not the average listener also. Yeah, but here's what it changed. You don't have to worry about the average listener anymore. You just need enough people willing to subscribe to you. So the fuck do people need to care about the average listener? I promise you there's literally nine figures on earth willing to listen to albums. Okay? Yeah. So if we all reframed our thinking and worrying about who's doing what, singles, this, that. Look, marketing release strategies is a very separate conversation than final products. If you were to ask me, release your album in chunks like fucking Scarlord did. He did it in chunks of four. And he named them after seasons and shit, stealing straight from Lupe. And then he went through that, and at the end, he dropped the album. And here's the thing. He gave it to you in little chunks. So then you mm. have repetition and familiarity in your favor when the whole album comes out. Because you need the whole album to come out. That's how it shows up at the top of your Spotify. Because your Spotify looks like fucking bullshit when it's full of singles. And it's this era now. Right. So you can still make an album. You just have to release it smart. You don't have to release mm. it the same. 
Everyone's acting like albums are done. Fuck that. I'm going to write concept albums for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm in the middle keep of Keep it a- alive. Keep it alive. But it's not me. Look at Griselda. How the hell is Griselda alive? Like, dude, the proof is in the pudding. Anybody really looking at the world of music today is going to go, yo, how the fuck does Griselda have five dudes who can release a full album after full album? Let's go a different direction. Let's go back to the Bay. The Bay never gave a fuck about anything other than selling to their own. And so they put out yeah. the same fucking album over and over again. Motherfuckers consume it like it's drugs. And they're obsessed. If I drop an album review from somebody in the Bay... Motherfuckers is going to show up and comment. Doesn't matter. So people look at it like that because people, I don't know, maybe aren't adapting to a different fucking era. But the question is, are you trying to be a millionaire off this shit? Or are you trying to like have enough fans to sustainably create your art? Maybe we need to change the goalposts in our life and make the art we think is dope. And then we can all have doper fucking careers with it. In a perfect world, yeah. That would be good if people would ignore all of those things and not just look for it to have that hot single and, and get hot from that alone. Oh, that still works. Put together a solid, solid piece of work. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still going to be mainstream. But, mm-hmm. yo, the underground pays now. It's not like the underground and full albums don't work. I think Nipsey proved that shit recent. I think. Well, even before that, you could go yo, back to like Tech Nine, Immortal Technique. Let's like, go a different direction on this conversation. Drake made a double album takeover billboard. Mm. how did he do that in 2018 if nobody could make an album and it's fire i don't care what anyone says i was listening to scorpion today it's a good fucking album there's so many songs on that i still know the words to that means it's a good album that was 2018 i'm just Mm -hmm. challenging that there so the idea that it can't be done is silly i think people are just trash at marketing i i don't i don't know i'm not saying that it can't be done from my end it's just that i find that everything is very single driven or maybe that's how i look at it as a dj because Mm. We don't, before, I, I always bought the albums, right? And like from a DJ, like I collect music differently than you and the other people in the chat that aren't DJs. Like we work with record pools where the album is not really the focus. Like they'll always predominantly put out, they'll give you the singles, the remixes and the stuff that you're going to use as a DJ because we're, we're treating music differently than the fan or the listener to it, right? Mm. So they've cut down, and this is from the labels. This is what the labels are providing to us, right? Over the years, I've noticed that they give less and less albums. They, they pick out what they want to push or what they want to promote heavily, and they'll give that. In my personal time, will I go by and listen to an album and listen to it? Yeah. But I, in my world as a DJ, we're very single-driven. So I look at it like I love that you said that because I think a lot of us, when we had these conversations, do that a little bit. We have our occupations in our worlds. Now, in my world, album reviews for four years exactly i've done over 500 okay four to 500 i don't want to say shit that's not true i can confidently say at least 400 albums but what i can say is i followed the media surrounding this for four years i know that albums are not dead but like people also don't know how to make money on music Albums are an advertising platform for your merch and tours and people and tours yeah we know that the touring is the money yeah and the merch do they know that who knows that I see a lot of people doing a lot of weird things, in my opinion. They're not really establishing the, the album sale techniques. Because I've been talking to a lot of people, making a little bit of connections along the way. I'm not trying to say, like, I know all the series of things, but I know a couple of things. You're here talking to me. You know? mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> um, what I'm trying to convey is I think people worry about that too much because they're so, like, I have never fucking done the DJ thing. I kind of feel stupid in hindsight. And one time I went to DJ Blaster on CKOT 
and I okay. So what happened was is I sent in a track and he said come through. But I'm an ignorant dude nice. that's never even listened to the show one time. I didn't know what I was doing. He probably is just like whatever, because Blaster apparently always just plays whatever and says yes, which is fucking dope. I went yeah. through Next Man's did this whole promo run and I said, I don't have a thing to say. And I fucking choked. And then my, I said my Twitter handle, and it sounded stupid because it was long and stupid. And I changed it the next fucking day to HSR. <laughs> and it was an awful experience in my life. That's a learning experience. So, like, I mean, yeah, it totally is. But, like, for me, it's never been my game. Albums have always yeah. been my interest because albums are eternal. Albums are what they talk about 20 years later, and nobody remembers the single. And that's what I've always cared about. So it kind of mm. depends on your goals. Do you, you can put right. on any of my projects, and I think that the music, like, okay, I'm not saying you love it or hate it, whatever, this is all preferences, but I think that none of it is dated or fucking weird. That all kind of mm. makes sense, and you can still bump them today, and they still kind of flay out, because I focused on making albums with concepts and, like, like story arcs and shit. And I noticed that in this world of singles, every artist is still doing this with their albums. Okay, because I reviewed all their albums and we find stories in 80% of them. New, old, all of them. Stories are just all of them. Everybody's album is a story. So how is it all these artists that are apparently just relying on singles and like, how is it like not a thing if all the artists are still doing it? Obviously, they're still. Like, because I guess from the artist standpoint is like make two, three hot singles, get radio play, video play, get played on the internet and that will sell the album. So that's their... And that, that's what, I guess, that's what gets a lot of the attention and a lot of the focus. But it hits They get everybody. those hot singles to sell it, yeah. But then you have your super fans that'll fuck with your album. Exactly. For sure. And For sure. so you need for to sure. make the album. Or your super fans will never become your super fans. They're always going to wait for that album. I promise you, man. People don't wait forever for that first album to come. Well, that's it. Like, But you know what? At the end of the day, sometimes with these artists, they can also navigate and dictate the way their fans react. If they're that artist, I mean, every artist is going to put out an album. It's like mandatory. But if they, they can dictate their career to their fans, and if they get their fans used to a certain thing, and they'll, they'll gravitate and they're going to take what they get from them. I, would, I mean, I, this does not apply to every situation. Nothing in life does. You I know what I mean? But... And I definitely agree with you, which is why I'm glad we're having this conversation. Because, yo, to me, this is where it gets real juicy. I mean, your life story is dope and stuff. But we're actually talking about some real shit that affects the lives of people watching this. Like, how to yeah. actually approach your music strategy. That album versus not thing is a huge conversation. Everybody's worried about it. Everybody's mm. worried about how to release their shit. Everybody's worried about singles versus not. Because everybody's worried about, I guess, views or, or growth. or I don't know what the right word is. I don't know. And I'm not, I'm not saying that insincerely. I think everybody has a different thing they're worried about. So, mm. like, I agree that there's a whole grind with DJs. And it's so valuable. Yo, honestly, shout out Prechankobia. He and others have got me to Google radio stats. And I shut the fuck up. And radio's clearly not dead. Radio's clearly alive and popping. And fun fact, yeah. <laughs> talk radio's number one. That's yeah. dope. Um, <laughs> That's what I listen to. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. I want to get paid to talk? Fuck yeah. But no, for real. Like, talk radio is killing it. And then country music was number two. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. The people who hate tech change are still bumping music radio like that. Anyway, so I, I, just, I vibe with shit like that. And then all the other ones. And Montreal still doesn't have a country station dedicated. Weird. 
It's actually whack because I know I, I know a shit ton of people who fucks with country. It was actually one of those things where I had to reconsider country music as a whole, and I appreciate it while not necessarily going towards it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was two genres we always used to have the conversation: urban and country were totally left out of the Montreal radio landscape from the mainstream stations, and they were two of the biggest genres on the planet, two of the biggest selling genres, and they were. They were never got. They never got full representation, but whatever. Maybe that's for part two or part three. Yo, shout out fucking uh, Don Smooth here. You straight up gave the respect to other things that were not your own. Like, cause not everyone would have brought up that country needs love too. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, that's really amazing. So I don't know. I was a great tangent. Um, basically, though, I, I'm curious now. If we go back to like the the night you so you start really doing this yeah, stuff we're thing. Yeah, we're talking about how I chose my music and, and stuff. And this is like around that. what 94, 95. Uh, well, now, yeah, yeah, I would say 94, 95. Yeah, this is when this is when like I'm like like I said, I was making my name was getting out there. I was starting to play. I was I got way beyond the bedroom and the basement parties. Like now, I'm at the elite parties, and in comes 1995. And one of Montreal's premier New Year's events, uh, Diamonds and Pearls, comes around. So now, like, I'm talking like they had TV commercials on CTV for this event. Like, now this is the biggest platform that I have ever been exposed to what's or been diamond? a part of. Sorry, like, what's Diamonds and Pearls? Diamonds and Pearls was a New Year's event that started, rest in peace, Keith and Karen, uh, two amazing Montreal promoters who were putting in work, like, probably since the late 70s. But they ran... Like I told you, getting to motions was this level. So now working for Keith and Karen was like the next level. So we're talking from, you know, I'm used to playing at motions, maybe two, 300, maybe 300 people on a Saturday night. Now we're talking New Year's Eve, 75 to $100 to get in, three, four, 5,000 people. Like it was, it's a huge leap. And like I said, there was TV commercials. Like you'd be sitting down watching Arsenio and, and the commercial would come on. Nobody had ever seen a Montreal party with a commercial on TV. Like, they were on that level. Like, it was mind-blowing. That had never been done before. Like, you're, they were advertising a New Year's party uh, on TV during Arsenio Hall and during different shows. So I got the call, and they said, yo, they told me straight up, this is make it or break it for you. They told me straight up, we're giving you a chance. Uh, we've heard good things. This is make it or break it. And I was on that bill with DJ Quite Sane. And uh, the groove train out of Ottawa, and it was bananas. It was, it was bananas. Okay, you gotta give. And us, I've, been, I've been around ever since. Okay, you gotta give us a little more than is bananas. You have like a five. <laughs> well, 000. like I said, so here I am now. Like you know, I, I'm coming from like I said, like motions had been the highest I had reached at this point. So, and that was great. Like I was more than happy with that. So now I'm getting the call now to come and DJ. This is New Year's now. This is the party of the year. There's no fucking up. There's no, you got to come like extra strong. Quite insane. Great DJ. Groove train. Great DJs. And then, you know, the promoter adds like, this is make it or break it. Like the pressure that I was feeling was insane. I was like, how the hell, you know what I mean? Take a couple of shots and I get on there. The nerves were in me like crazy. But as a DJ, what you do every day, it just kicks in and you just get natural. And I'm not going to say I rocked the party. I wasn't I going to say I was the standout guy that night. But it did wonders for my name regardless. Like, it, it made people look at me and say, okay, all right. No, If they're messing with you on that level, then okay. You know, you you it, it opened another door for me. You know what I mean? I got another pass, another level of a pass. Yeah, that's amazing. 
So what happened? And it was great. Yeah. Like I had never seen, I had never been in front of a crowd where I couldn't see where the room ended. It was the first time in my life, like I looked at the crowd and I couldn't see where it ended. There was thousands of people. And they went on to be one of the most epic uh, New Year's parties in Montreal ever. Diamonds and Pearls. They, I don't even know. They went up to maybe four, five, six editions. And they just got bigger and bigger every year. They were doing them at Pali de Congrès. And it was a massive, massive event. And you kept coming back? Nope. I did the first year. So like I said, I wasn't a standout. Okay, but they would okay. always cycle the DJs. They often changed the DJs. I didn't make it back. I only played the first year, to tell you the truth. But uh, it did enough to help me go forward with it. All right. So what happens after that? Okay, so at this point now, so we're we're in the mid '90s, so now hip hop is it's 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 downtown. Montreal was heavily a, a dance city, still is. When you say but downtown, now, you mean like Crescent? You mean Crescent, like... Saint Laurent? It's coming downtown. Before this, there was no hip hop was being played that I knew of. I'm not saying that it didn't exist, but I had never experienced uh, hip hop downtown. So it started to come downtown, and you know you had guys like Ricky D's and the Romeros. These promoters now, they started taking their parties to all of these, the hot clubs in, in all the right places. And at the same time, like Biggie, Bad Boy, this music is what's bubbling. It's crossed over now. Everybody in these, in these clubs, they, this is the music they want now. But a lot of the DJs at that time were not up to speed with it. So they brought the urban DJs along with them downtown. And we were the ones, that, you know, we were the ones playing the music in the early days when, that, when, the, when the rise of that. So basically, as you said, in order to have success in a lot of cases, you need to have preparation or luck was preparation mixed with timing. We can say that's how right. I remember it. Right, exactly. So you yeah. were prepared because A, you'd already rocked a major ass fucking crowd. Yeah. You'd done all the work. You did everything, the crews, the whole thing, created the network, remembered all the phone numbers and shit, did everything, everything, <laughs> everything. And then all yeah. of a sudden, there became a huge need for exactly what the fuck you do. Hell yeah. And it was then, like, shit changed. Then, you know, the, the, the venues changed. We were in a lot fancier venues. We were meeting uh, more diverse crowds. And the money definitely changed, too. The money, the, money, uh, the money started getting better and better. So it was definitely a good time. Like, the, the mid-90s to, mid to 2000 was like an explosion, an urban explosion. Like, all of a sudden now, you could not have a party on Crescent and Saint Laurent and say you're not playing hip-hop. You cannot have a club and you're not having a reggae set in there, almost even more than the dance. All right, let me ask you a question, like, related to the stream of you being a DJ. Yeah. What's going on with the Montreal hip-hop scene? How exposed and connected are you to the rise and the births of all the people involved in that during this time? There is none. There's Shades of Culture. Shout out to them. The grind was so hard. Shades of Culture were the, those guys during the, uh, the 90s. Uh, representing for Montreal, at least. I think it was the Raymen was another group that was around. Um, it was it was it was it was difficult, man. Arcade was around those times also. Um, but like, this is the times where now, like, you can't just make beats at home on your laptop. Like, you gotta have money to go and do studio time. Uh, you can't just put your music on the internet and send it around the world. You gotta go. And, and get your vinyl pressed. You got to get physical music. It's not just digital. So everything costs money. So it was very difficult. There was a lot of people were rapping and, and all that, but um, it wasn't, not a whole lot was going on. I just, I know Shades of Culture was real 
they were like they were pushing hard the butter babies that was another one uh they, they were putting in work but it wasn't easy you you didn't have like now everything is so accessible and now money money's not going to hold you back now but back then you could be dope you could have the talent but you had to have that studio money you had to have the music to to get those records you had to have the money to ship those records to be heard all around so it it, it wasn't easy it definitely wasn't easy so therefore not as many people had access to it so there wasn't the volume of rappers that then I saw in the 2000s. You know what's really interesting, though, as you say this, is because sometimes I talk to people who are a little bit my elder, and I talk mm -hmm. about some nonsense, and I'll complain about some fucking gadget or whatever, and they're like, silly child, you don't fucking know. <laughs> and as guys like you talk to me and explain this stuff, it really does add that layer of, oh, that's why they get fucking annoyed when I complain about the easy thing. That makes mm -hmm. sense. All right. So it's actually like really helpful. And I think <clears throat> at least a lot of us millennials have to work on our humility a lot. And so hearing you talk about this is a good exercise in humility for a lot of us to hear what you actually do and did. Mm -hmm. and, and, and actually <clears throat> to hear about the struggle of Montreal artists in that era and the, the gating behind it. Like literally I could afford to produce an album on under three grand. Right. Wow. And I could yeah. afford that shit. Easy. Yeah. I'm not mildly easy my girlfriend's gonna be like shut the fuck up like, but it's not like that easy. <laughs> i don't want to talk too much right there but like it's doable and it's like anyone can do that i'm talking about you own your beats this that the next thing so here yeah. you like yo and these guys shades of culture that album they dropped in like 98 i can't remember its name right now but it's, uh was it state, mind, state of mind mind state mind mind state mind state that shit is like you put it on today and front to back it is a beautiful experience. Shout out them guys, man. Shade, Absolutely. Like, they and, and like they didn't just they weren't just hot for Montreal. Like they 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 made a buzz, man. Like they made noise, man. Shades of culture. According to Preach and a few others, but Preach told me first. Yo, apparently the Shades EP debuted in nineteen ninety one and MSAG nineteen ninety. That's fucking fire. Um, but apparently according to Preach and a few others, Shades opened up for the Backstreet Boys. I, I didn't even know that. That's dope. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my, like, yo, Montreal has done some shit. Yo, shush. We got to stop saying that guy. Montreal's done some shit. Yo, Montreal's done a lot of shit. That's no, kind of we my have. last been, like. We have, we have, we have. And like, there was, oh, man, there was a French group. Why? Somebody in the chat preach, maybe you know. Oh, man, there was a, a French group that really, I think DJ Choice was their DJ. It's going to come back to me after, hopefully before the interview is done. But there was a, a French group that did really strong and really well here as well from in that era. Yeah. So, yo, shout out my homeboy Ismail. He's been ride or die on the whole channel the whole way through. So shout him out. Shout out Ismail. He came through. He's fucking what up, dope. What up? He's, when, I, when I do this in a lot of ways, Ismail lives in Montreal. I met him through YouTube. And he was like, I don't know Montreal rappers that well. And... Ismail is discovering like Montreal hip hop as we go through this journey in a really significant and almost cool way. So in a lot of ways, you know, he's gonna watch this in full. I know that for a fact. There's a couple of them that will. And you know, cool. you're doing a huge blessing. There's even people that don't live here that are gonna watch this in full. Not many, but a couple. So it's just oh, that's cool. a beautiful thing. No, no, it's a beautiful thing what we're doing tonight. I like to share stories and, and we we got good memories we're talking about here. It's no. bringing me back because I'm starting to get a visual just having you, like a lot of things that I forgot about now are starting to pop back up in my head, you know what I mean? That's that's the effect of what we do here. Um, 
it's a little deliberate my approach i'm not gonna lie it's not like random i'm, I'm kind of on purpose with the tangents and then drag you back in tangents drag me it kind of works because yeah. what i realized is it's like drink champs without the alcohol <laughs> i like that well i mean i like so I had a drunk guy one time on, and I didn't know how to do it with it. And Preach was like, gave me a big lecture after. And I'm like, you know what? I don't do alcohol well. I don't know how to read it, etc. Let's figure it out without booze. Let's figure it out without drugs. I can't expect people to get too high either, because that's also not good. You know, like, so you know what's dope? People just being fucking them. Um, that's it. And that's, that's what's great. But how do you still get into that place where they want to tell all their stories? Is, yo, the truth is, is you're actually really interesting. I've learned a whole lot tonight. None of that's like a lies. And you just keep repeating that. I found that out. And if you do that a lot, if you're ever in my position in, in the near future, say that a lot. Mm. People go, okay. And then they start talking more. And it's just facts. And it's just well, no, I, I, like I said, I, I've been doing this, right? Like I did radio for like 14, 15 years. Oh, I've done more interviews than I could count. You know what I mean? So I recognize, I only had to see you once with Preach. To recognize that, like, I didn't have to watch a bunch of your lives to, to, I was like, you know what? This guy has a nice approach. He has a good angle. You, you, you bring out a story, you make it more interesting and you bring out those things that people might not, wouldn't think about. And, but it, I was caught up. Like when I was watching it, the whole flow, it was laid back. It was chill and very informative. And I was like, I would definitely uh, sit down and do an interview uh, yeah, with, 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 for that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I could sense, like I said, I've been doing this. You know what I mean? So I can sense right away if it's somebody that just writes down a bunch of questions or if it's somebody just pulling out of their ass, I could tell you genuinely, I can see the work that you put in. Even if it comes off to the crowd that it's all laid back and natural, I know that a lot goes on to get it to come that way, which is a blessing on your part, man. I don't know. That's probably the coolest thing that coming from you. That's huge. I don't know. Like I'm blushing a little bit. No, but it's true, man. It's true. Um, That's amazing. Okay, now I'm like, oh my gosh, flip that on me real quick. Uh, <laughs> so DJ Damage Four Thousand says, "I remember when DJ did that Mike's Restaurant commercial." Oh wow! See, they're pulling up jewels that I don't even remember. But like I said, they had a huge impact. Like I said, they weren't just Montreal dudes rapping. Like they were getting recognition from outside or from other places. They, they, and I believe they went touring and stuff. Yeah. Like they were, they were active. They didn't just put out a record. Like, they were really active. That's amazing. <clears throat> All right. So we're in that, like, late 90s period. Shit's blitzing. You're DJing. I don't know what's cool that happened in that era, but you got to have a couple of little things. I mean, if you're doing all the hot shits downtown Montreal, are you, like, still opening for people that are coming through, like, celebrities and stuff? Uh, this There wasn't a ton. There was always shows, but now the show started moving oh, into the apparently Bell Center. the group name you're looking for is Dubmatic. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Double Sound Creations, for the tip. Yes, Dumbatic. That's it. Thank you, Double SH. That's my dude. He was there with me throughout all those club eras, so he knows what's up. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Dumbatic. I think they went, like, platinum by by, um, Canadian standards, selling 100,000, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Like, they were very successful commercially. But, yes, Dumbatic, thank you. That would have bothered me. Um... But yeah, so uh, this time I'm really I'm really heavy on the club circuit, like I said, because the urban music took off everywhere, and at this time there was a handful of us that were able to play it properly, authentically, the R&B, the hip hop, and the reggae. Oh, so we were sorry, getting. I have to. I have to. Answer. Apparently, according to Preach, yeah. you were talking about MRF and DJ Choice. Well, Dumbatic is the is the French group that I said um, did all the selling that that sold good okay. units. 
like uh, that I said, believe I went Canadian platinum. MRF, uh, MRF et Arrivé, definitely they were a big one. I think they were from South Shore and they had a crazy DJ that used to DJ with basketballs and all kind of, and kind of stuff. MRF et Arrivé, I remember them clearly. Yeah, that was a Quebecois group. I believe they're from the shore, Long Gale or something like that. My word. It's all You're, coming back. Yeah, like... two different groups. But Dubmatic was the one that was, had the big numbers. Woo, that's dope. Don Smooth did that right quick. I, I, your memory is impeccable. That has to be huge in this. Like, that is incredible. I appreciate that. I appreciate that for real because you're on your side of the fence and you're still fucking doing your thing like a pro. It's, 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 it's who I am. Yeah, thank it's you so much, T Locks. When they highlight my name, it, it kind of pops out. That's cool. That's helpful. Great interview so far. Thank you. You see, you see T Locks, Steph Miller. These are all, you know, our Montreal people that were partying back in the days. Like, they were there witnessing. Those were the girls that we wanted to get on the dance floor. That's awesome. I'm glad that y'all are here. And I mean that sincerely. Because to me, it's like, they appreciate a lot of what you're saying in ways that I don't. But I'm representing all the other people. So that you kind of get in both ends of the reaction sphere. And that's a lot of where I guess my... Bridging, bridging the gap, right? That's exactly bridging why we called it that. Because, yo, yeah. for me, like, I'm part of the scene. Nah, I used to be a fool in the scene. And now I want to rectify that by doing something for the scene, you know? This is what I can do. I can talk to people and this is what, this is it. So I'm, I'm rolling with this in this moment. All right, so you're popping off in the clubs. I still want to hear if there's anything fucking cool that was going on. I think you were saying rappers and shit weren't actually coming through, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, they were, they were coming through, but like rap changed now. So okay, 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 okay. It rapids now. It's like it's the mega million, it's the superstars. When they were come, things were a little different. They weren't as accessible as they were in the earlier days because now they're they're big superstars, right? But I mean, there was still opening gigs. I didn't, I don't remember doing a whole lot in the late 90s. Uh, I was really heavy in the club. I was playing four or five nights a week many times. So, like, I was focused with that. So, I was putting my energies there because I, I was in demand, I was playing out a lot. I was making great money. I was having a lot of fun. And then I'll tell you, I remember so clearly, I think it was like maybe 2000. So we've transferred into the 2000s now. So I'm, I'm basically all these years, I'm heavily in the club. I'm doing clubs regular, regular, regular. The long weekends, the, the New Year's, the summer times. It's like I'm in demand. I'll play at one club and then go play at an, an after hour after type thing. So now by early 2000s, everything comes to a crashing halt. I'm playing on Crescent Street. Gunshots go off, somebody gets hit, police get involved, come in, whatever, 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 boom, right away, club owners cancel the night. Like, the club didn't get canceled, but they canceled the night that we were doing. Right. So it's like, damn, you know, it's not a good look. Uh, and mind you, it was the club owners that let the, the, the people in that caused the altercation, but anyhow. So maybe a couple months down the line, I'm playing again. I'm still doing my thing. I played another club. There's another altercation. Unfortunately, some random people got hit by projectile in the room. All from that moment, that was Don Smooth was blacklisted. Don Smooth was the cause of the shooting. It's the song he played the causes. I got blacklisted. Hold up, that's like real, real. Nah, that's I got like blacklisted. Wow. It was it wasn't spoken out like that, but there was a handful of people that owned most of the popular and the biggest clubs during that time and. My, that was it was a done deal for me i was getting zero bookings from playing three four nights a week everything just stopped nobody was touching me I'm, that's unfortunate 
I, I, I understand the layers and layers of what goes on behind the scenes. There's probably a lot of people who don't understand a damn thing about a damn thing putting it on you. I'm going to assume a mm -hmm. bunch of folk that look more like me making a bunch of decisions without a gut of good decisions of what's going on. Well, you see what it is, is it was like, oh, there was a shooting here. There was altercation here. This guy was there. It, I just have, I guess I was just in the wrong place too many times. Oh, mm -hmm. we had another altercation here. Oh, who's the DJ? Oh, him again? Okay, we don't want to mess. We don't want him at our club. And that's that was the first time. And like I said, I was peaking. I was hitting. Like everything was going really nice for me at that point in time. And everything just crashed. You know, I know this is going to be a strange twist on that, but this yeah. is literally the case point that there is such a thing as bad press. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not all. They say that no such thing as bad publicity. It was not good publicity at all. But there's a happy ending to the story. But yeah, love it. I mean, there's a happy ending to the story. So we're looking around 2002, 2003. So I'm like, like literally, like everything came to a halt for me. I'm not getting any bookings really. I'm, I'm being scorned on 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 the hot clubs downtown. So it's like, what now? So I keep grinding away. Meanwhile, I'm I'm a student of Concordia. So I'm like, I want to get into this communications program. And they told me, go out there, build a portfolio, you know, go out there as an intern, get some work in a radio station. I went, started knocking at doors. People were like, oh, no, we don't, want, we don't want no intern. We're not looking for that. We're not interested in that. Blah, 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 blah. DJing at a club one night and legendary Butcher T, that's somebody else, put him on your list. Butcher T was the first DJ to play urban music in Canada, not Montreal, in Canada. He's did that like in the early '80s here in Montreal. I'm playing. I'm playing one of I guess one of the few gigs that I still managed to get. And he's like, you know what? He's like, I'm gonna introduce you to Duke Eatman at K103. I know who that is. I'm at yes. a point where I know who that is, but still, not <laughs> yes. everyone it does. Yeah. Okay. The way I understand him is he's the guy that Don Smooth replaced and became. Like you're the you're the new Duke Eatman. Eat, I don't know how to say it right. That's how it's yeah. been described to me. It's like it was him, okay. and then it was you. <clears throat> okay. I don't Back know how true that is. You, let me give everyone a background story. First, K103, right? Located on Ganawage, on the reserves. Uh, Heo Kirby. Heo Kirby was the nighttime guy at the time. And the story that I've heard is at one point, he came on and he, he, he ran a Wu-Tang album. And apparently, like, the numbers, the, the listener went crazy. So he was like, like they kind of stumbled on the urban path. So they started doing more of it. And then Heo Kirby was the guy that created Street Sounds. So all of a sudden now, we're hearing urban music for the first time in Montreal. CKUT always had urban music in pockets. But for the first time, we're hearing urban music daily in Montreal. This was bigger than you can imagine during that era, during this time. K103 is playing urban music four nights okay. a week for six Let's hours. Let's pretend that people can't imagine that. What's the landscape yeah. of music like at this time? Like, break it down what the radios is like and shit. I'm alive, so I'm aware, but, like, for the people that don't know. Landscape of radio at this time, you got to wait till Friday night, turn on CKUT to hear the weekend groove, and that's where you're going to hear some hip-hop. Then, And that's for a two-hour block. Then Saturday, you got to program yourself, okay, I want to hear some, some soca and reggae. I'm going to go listen to Howard Stretch Car on West Indian Rhythms. And then you had the Sound Supreme show, which was, like, the craziest one of the craziest hip hop shows in Montreal, that was LDG and Flight. And now currently it's uh, Ken Dog and Mike Mission, which is called The Masses at Work. Basically, we had maybe 
10 hours of urban music on radio. It was all at CKUT. And you had to be like, okay, I'm going to get my urban fix Friday night at 10 o'clock. I'm going to get this on Saturday at 7 o'clock. That's how it was. You could never just turn, get in your car, turn on the radio station and leave it and be getting urban music. Mm, it was in pockets. And amen for CKUT, man, for always doing it. Big respect. And I think a lot of people need to know how important this is. As I, as, and just to shut it out, as uh, Preach puts it in the chat, Heo Kirby is then followed by Duke Eatman, is then followed by Don Smith. So, I, again, that's how people are putting it out to me. And that's why I said it like that earlier. But I do want to continue going on with this because I learned a lot about kind of a parallel because I'm, I'm kind of talking to a bunch of New York City guys doing the same kind of thing. And a lot of people are telling me about Stretch and Bobito. Right, right. And their experiences going with mixtapes with Stretch and Bobito, and literally, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a parallel. Like your role in the city is kind of the role that Stretch and Bobito and them played in their city. Yeah, and yeah. Same thing with the Duke Eatman and them. I don't fully know out all of them, and I'm still learning on the fly. But yo, yeah. when you hear a rapper from Montreal and a rapper from New York tell it, it's the same fucking story. And your role in that is huge. I just hope you know that. Well, you know, at, at the time, I knew that I knew that when I got that platform, and, and I've jumped a lot of, of things, but we'll go back to it. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it's over, all over. It's fine. I, I I knew. I was like, man, like at this now, now. When I said there was a happy ending, is because I started K one hundred three, maybe one a year after I told you that story about being banned from all the clubs. Mm. Here I go now, thinking like, oh shit, like what do I do now? And then the biggest door opens for me. So I put that out there to remind people about even as bad as shit could get, you never know what's around the corner. So even though my club thing went kind of south, the next year, the biggest opportunity of my career is Don Smooth uh, came my way. And that was like amazing. Like I would not change anything in that story. That's okay, they blacklisted me. Because what ended up happening after that, I put my energy in another direction and it was amazing. And I, I took my role very seriously. And I always had a lot of respect for my uh, city of Montreal. Up, I gotta and, stop but, for a quick second. Yeah. DJ Crystal Clear from fucking Alabama. I just donated a All thousand right. bits. I never got what? a thousand fucking bits before, <laughs> my guy. What I never the got fuck a thousand just, bits. Thank you. What just happened? Yo, shout out. Actually, I did Vibe Tribe. But sorry, yeah. It's all right. Vibe Tribe is insane. I fucking see these I got a big Vibe Tribe. Yeah, I got a thousand bits from Vibe Tribe, but that is crazy. Oh, I was there. Preach gave you that shit. I saw Preach give you with that. You were on that hype train, and I got an emote for that hype train. Wow. Shout out Preach for following that up. That's my guy, man. What the fuck? Holy shit. Okay, I'm sorry. I know that was like whatever. I don't care about professional. That's fucking fires. Yo, Preach just subscribed with Prime. My guy, this is a beautiful fucking night. That's all I'm trying to say. Preach. That's my brother, man. Preach, man. Wow. More bits. I don't even know what to fucking say. That's fucking Liddy. Liddy. That's fucking cool. Shout out to Preach. Shout out Vibe Tribe. Shout out Alabama. Yeah, wow. that's true, though. That, that's the reach that's kind of cool about this. And I love that part about the internet. And I don't think a lot of people often think about the power of the not Montreal in the Montreal branding. And that's mm -hmm. a big part of what I'm trying to focus on, too. Is, and then that's why I go and do these uh, New York City interviews. Like, I talked to Mickey Fax and Poison Pen. So I got a couple of, like... Poison Pen. Mm -hmm. You've heard of Poison Pen. I wore of this, course. I wore this hat the whole time. So that when we put oh. that motherfucker on the internet after... <laughs> That's dope. Okay. 
that's that's the kind of vibes I think we need in this year. Shut up for the bits, man. You're making me blush again. I don't know how to react to that. I guess I'll have to learn. To Appreciate be the love, there. people. I'm glad you guys are enjoying yourselves, man. Yo, me too. And thank you for doing this with us. Yo, it's big. It's a big play, man. To be able to say, I got Don Smooth to come through for more than two hours. Apparently, that's a big deal, right? Like, I'm saying you just fucking bless It is heart, because I've never done an interview longer than an hour. <laughs> I think, actually... The last interview I did was with Pro V and uh, and Widget from All The Way Live CKUT. Okay. Uh, that was maybe like a good hour and a half, two hours. But I, I never do these in depth. I've been interviewed uh, several times, and it's usually like a 15, 20 minute. They edit out everything that I really want to get across. But anyway, we won't get into that. You're allow doing a great to, job. So allow me to be clear. Don Smooth fucking grilled me beforehand a little bit. What's your mission? What you fucking about? Da, 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 da. No, he didn't swear. Apparently, there's old people watching. I need to watch my mouth a bit. No offense. Oh, I don't know why I said that fucking terribly. It is what it is. We're live. But no, that's why I want to do it live. Um, nobody can yeah. accuse me of anything after. If that's I'm live. it. It's right there. It's all there. And, it, and uh, I actually just want the opposite. I just, yo, look, here's the thing. I started rapping in 2012. I came in like Mr. White Boy Arrogant Fucker. I'm talking like the worst. I'm talking like Hobson is the greatest rapper alive to me. You know, right, what I, right. you know, you know exactly what I mean when I say that, right? Like, all right, yeah. so anybody who doesn't know, it is what it is. Um, shout out for the more bits, everybody. Thank you so much. Um, and then as I rolled through the situation, I started coming into the game and I talked my shit like everybody seems to do. And oh, I was, I just like, I'm the best of it and all that crap. And I just acted like nothing ever existed in Montreal. But I don't know if you ever Googled Montreal hip hop in 2012. It wasn't exactly like a lot of easy finds. So, like, in my defense a little bit. I, I, I didn't have to Google Montreal Hip Hop. It was at my front door. Four but nights like, a week. For me, though, okay, I, I got Google you. it. And got there wasn't you, a lot there. So, I didn't really think much of it. I just listened to everybody right. talking all the shit on Facebook. That was my source of all the informations for mm. years. And I didn't think about that shit. I, like, I just took it as for granted. I listened to all the toxicity in the scene out of people that were in my ears like yo nobody's done anything everybody's a motherfucking all that shit all, all that stuff sorry it's hard man it's like 9 14 i'm doing my best not to cuss it's late night now um <clears throat> but like what i realized is yo there's no way to find this easily and unfortunately a certain type of people who know all this stuff also like to say things like nah i mean and they don't like to then elaborate. They expect you to know things. It's almost <laughs> like if you don't know He's things. He's like, figure that shit out. And then you're like, okay, but where do I figure that out? <laughs> like, okay. And then you you watch like media sources and like, no offense to anybody. This is obviously stuff they should ask, but it's always like, you know, similar questions, similar vibes, similar like, yo, what's your influence? What's your... And I'm like, yo, I don't know anything. There's no Wikipedia. How am I supposed to learn this shit? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like where is it no lie a little spoiler i'm looking into how to build a off like an unofficial montreal wiki for hip-hop because it doesn't exist it's a huge ass project I'm, I'm not quite able to manage it right now but we need it and how am i going to be able to feel shit you know i started thinking big how are we going to write a book about montreal's hip-hop history where apparently don smooth needs a book fuck fuck up we need multiple books but how that is that is, on, that is on my to do to do list I definitely, that's something I've always said to myself that it's a goal of mine for sure. I got, uh, I told you, I got a lot of stories to tell. I don't think we're going to get to all of them tonight, of but I not. definitely have, have I do. To, to, if you, I'm, I'm going to be real with you. I never planned on getting through all your stories tonight. 
Yeah. <laughs> I tell people it is flat out. Uh, the, the only goal in number one of an interview is to make sure there's number two. Make him want to come back. Well, and, and make sure there's content that's worth a number two. You always, one thing in entertainment, oh, yeah, yeah. you always got to be the audience wanting okay, some let, more. I'd say 90% of my people are worth bringing back that I've talked to so far. And of nice. that, 80% of them come from this city. So there's that much nice. fucking dope shit that's actually happening. Nice. But I want to give flowers properly. Uh, when I started my interview journey, I didn't know what I was doing. And then I talked to Forever Preach, Mr. Preach and Cobia. It is on YouTube. Yes, sir. So for those that actually want to see that shit, it's on YouTube. Uh, YouTube. Bonnie, you can link it. You can link that shit if you're watching, Bonnie. Love you. You're the best. We're making a Bonnie emote because she's the best. Um, Definitely. Um, but basically, uh, he, I didn't know anything. I sounded stupid, honestly. I, it was my worst interview. I think I, I um, had about 2% of the talk time. That was not good. I was just like, like the whole fucking time. Like what else? I mean, you saw it, but if you really think about it, that's kind of what happened. So Preach yeah, yeah, just yeah. shared shits and I'm like, I'm not prepared for this. I could not have handled a Don Smooth interview back then. There's no way. I didn't know anything. <laughs> we would have been talking for so long. <laughs> um, but then after that, I, I, I developed this, vi this vision because Preach kind of, Nah, it didn't sound great, my guy. I, I know the difference. I'm self-aware, my guy. You can say the positives. I know the difference between the Don Smooth interview and the Preach and Kobe interview. I, I see the difference. It was just where I was at. But, like, right. part of it became this mission to show the haters, no offense to the haters, my rapping peers of millennial area, almost focused in the southwest area, because mm. that's where I'm at, that... They when were, you say the Southwest, where do you mean the Southwest? Like I'm in MBG, but right. I'm talking okay. LaSalle, Villamar, da, 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 the whole area, downtown. You know, right. this part of, that's where I'm from, maybe some downtowns. My Facebook has a, a squad, and there's a bunch of them that are positive people. But it took a long – here's the thing. I'm going to be real. COVID made a lot of us self-reflect and get less negative. I've noticed that on Facebook. Yeah. The whole world's a little yeah. bit positive in this game. But um, – when I was started doing all this, I, when I, even when I talked to Preach, it was prior to that. It was like, I just didn't, I, I just wanted to show people that there was so much that had happened. I didn't know there was a Shades of Culture. And then I bumped the album. And then here's the thing. And I heard that, like, the anthem from Preach. And I live three blocks from Walkley. So to mm. have a motherfucker call out Walkley on a track like that and the shit be slapping hard in 2021. My guy, we play that shit a bunch. That's I don't give a fuck if anyone else likes that song. That's three blocks from my crib. It's a fucking anthem to this day. It's history, right? And I and, and you weren't and you weren't aware of it. Well, I didn't know a damn thing before I talked to him. And then the guy's like, <laughs> "You're a fucking album reviewer. Go listen to their fucking lyrics. Do a little one-two album review." And I'm like, "Ooh, that's a good trick. Thanks, Breach." And it fucking worked like a charm. You were was a little oh, different. He knows his shit, man. He knows his shit. So he's giving me flowers, man, because it is what it is. Like I give a shit about listening to people that are smart, and uh, I'm I'm not good at life. So like for me to be better at life, okay, maybe I'm better at life now. But in my head, I maintain the attitude that I'm not good at life. Therefore, I need the wise people around me to be wise, so I can be better at life. And it served me well to live like that. And you are one of the wisest. Why? Well, like I said, the whole, we, we, we got to shout out Preach, like you said, give him his flowers, because the whole reason why I'm here right now 
was you got that cosign from Preach. And like I said, if Preach messed with you, I was like, all right. And then I was, I enjoyed the interview and the interview style. I was entertained by it. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm not reaching out to people to be interviewed. If they want to interview me, you know, it's great, fantastic. But it's not something that, you know, I look for. But I, I, I like your, I saw something in, in what you did. You know what I mean? And I enjoyed the one that you did with Preach. So, and I was like, Preach has always been a good dude. Preach has been around. Like he said, he bought his first record from me. I didn't remember that until he told me because, you know, he's selling a lot of records. But we definitely, he was a regular at the radio station. That's for sure. Mm. Right. I performed with Preach. One of my last performances uh, before COVID was preaching myself. Well, you know, I was the DJ. Preach was performing with Calunity at the uh, Black Theater Workshop, their 50th anniversary, I believe. That was in, that was a year ago today. It was Black, it was on the first day of Black History Month. It was on the weekend, the first Saturday of Black History Month. And that was the last, one of my last live shows. You're Black History from Montreal and it's February 1st. Well, I, I, and I'm also their DJ, so I guess that's okay. No, with the Black meant, like you're yeah. literally living Black history oh. of Montreal and it's February 1st. What an excellently coincidence. I didn't, I sincerely didn't even think about till <laughs> That's actual facts. Listen, to, yo, li maybe we didn't get there yet in your story, but that's cool because we covered a lot of really important shit. Um, but you are history. I mean, I don't know how significant you realize you are, but you are history. Um, I realize that more and more now. Um, I never look at it that way. You know what? You know what is in my mentality? I'm still that DJ that wants to go and show and prove because as they see, you're, you always got to perform. You always got to like Twitch now. The, the thing that I like about Twitch, everybody's a bedroom DJ all over again on Twitch. You know what I mean? Of course, you got the Jazzy Jeffs that are going to be Jazzy Jeffs and whatnot. You know what I mean? But <clears throat> um, I have to, I, it feels like I'm starting all over again coming on Twitch because it's an element of DJing that I've never done before. I've never had to DJ in a room with no people yeah, and, and not get the feedback. Like you do that on radio, but it's not the same. You know what, what I mean? are you saying? You get like fucking tons of feedback. You know how I know? I get good. I, I, hey, but I'm you're in your seeing stream, it now. Watching hey, your Twitch there was streams. months when I started Twitch, like, you know, a okay. lot of the DJs would, would tell you there was many times there was one person in the room, two people in the room. Yeah, it was like true. that. It feels comfortable. It was like that longer than now. Like it just reached in the new year. Now it's been it's been growing really nice. You know what I mean? It, it's I'm I'm happy with, with how it's going. Uh, I'm there more regularly. I'm getting more comfortable with it. People are coming back more often. They're showing more interest in it. But for me, it was like, why do you want put yourself through this? Like, I I felt like I was going backwards. Like, why well, are you? I going agree, to do man. Something? People in the crowds is like you're a natural on Twitch, but like, yo, here's the thing, my guy. You yeah. lied a little bit. You were uncomfortable okay. with the technology. Un understandable. You were uncomfortable with the dynamic. There's no way you hit fucking play on that set not knowing it's going to slap. You're fucking Don Smooth. You know this shit's going to slap. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here with that. Well, what can I say that? I, what, who am I to argue with that? You're no, not smooth late game in his career. Like, you're going to tell me you don't know how to curate, like, a fucking two-hour playlist that's going to slap 100% of the time at this point? But, yes. Okay, I hear what you're saying. But, honestly, and any DJ in the chat right now could say it. I'm used to live reaction. Like, it's 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 totally different. When you're on Twitch now, you got to entertain the people a lot faster. Yeah. There's so much okay, more channels. That. There's so many channels to go to. People are not going to sit there. What am I going to do that's going to make them stay there 
for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or even up to an hour. When they're just popping up, they're getting notifications to mm -hmm. go here, go there, go da 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 da. So um, I, it took time for me. To, I just had to make an adjustment. Like to play the music, that's never the issue. It's the issue of adjusting to a new platform. That's all. And I the respect fact that, the shit out of that. I yeah, respect that yeah. a lot because I pretend like my Twitch journey has been easy, but it's been a miserable clusterfuck and I'm nowhere near where I want to be on it. I'm just being real with you. Like, I look at y'all yeah. teachers, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's tough to figure out. I'm like, I, I, okay, it's just awful. Okay, it's every, every step of Twitch is a miserable experience of growth and learning, and then it's all cool after the fact. Like, I go, I go on these fucking DJ things and I'm watching the gambling games, and I'm like, I don't understand the back end of it. I don't even have time to like fucking learn it. And then I feel like, you know, like it's just hard. Okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. So when you said that, I'm actually going, Oh, that's my like right now life. What am I fucking talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that chat's been too fast for me to watch. I, don't, I just ignored it. I'm like, it's too scary right now. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it's, it's been a great experience. But like I said, it's, it, it, it's revamped something in me because it's like, Oh wow. It's a new challenge. It's not just like, because it just comes natural to, for me to go in a club or anywhere and play a party. It, like, it just rolls. It's natural. But now it's like, oh, you got to bring visuals into it. The interaction with the people, the chat. Like, there's so many more elements a part of it that were not there before. But the challenge is good because then it gets you excited. Like, now yeah. I look forward to it. I am excited with it. Say we gotta keep giving you flowers because Abe preach told me to, and who am I gonna argue with preach? Sometimes you argue with preach. This was a good time to listen to him. Rico Blocks though says, and Rico Blocks shouted you up mad heavy. I have it on wax. Um, yeah, man, I, I, it's like he, he a lot of love, but it was always like that back from then. I treated people with respect. That's what it was. Love it. Actually, that's the biggest knowledge nugget of the night. Don Smooth treated motherfuckers with people with respect. I'm terrible at this way. People with respect. And yo, Smooth is a household name from Walter PPK 2020. Rico Black. That's my guy. That, that was one of the guys that would be with, be with me carrying the crates. That's so awesome. Thank you for carrying the crates back then. We shot you out and salute <laughs> you today and you deserve your flowers. Uh, but Rico Blast wanted to say almost all the Montreal MCs owe Don Smooth for breaking the records on Street Sounds. Used to cop mixtapes and vinyls from Don. Oh, wow, chat came in. Don at Street Sounds Record Store Atlanta. Grill. Then DJ Jammer just like, oh, shit, for real? I remember getting off. I'm just adding voices. Getting off at Lena Grill. Get some records yeah. there. Then back on the Metro. Don Smooth was always killing it from fucking meticulous. Like, this is just fucking. Wow. I can't make this up, my guy. You can go check Thank you. Out thank there. you, everybody. Thank you, everybody in the chat. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So how did you actually get the job? You never said that, and that's actually really important. The DJ How I got job, the job in CKUT uh, back then. So, so now this point in time, now like I said, things slowed down in the club world. But for all of a sudden, I'm starting to get this radio attention. Like, I always did like guest spots here and there at CKUT, but now Butcher T introduces me to Duke Eatman. So I go over, I go see, I visit Duke Eatman at uh, K103. He's doing street sounds at this time. We're talking. This is 2003. 2003, right? So he said, he's like, well, he's like, what I can offer you right now is I can offer you a mixed show Thursday nights from one until three in the morning. So I'm like, bet, whatever, whatever it is, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. I started that. It was called the Rock the Block Mix Show. And I just went heavy, heavy. It was straight hip hop and like a little bit of R&B. It was a straight hip hop show, the Jada Kisses, the Fabulouses and that kind of stuff. And I was so excited to be on the radio. Like I would pre-mix the, the cassettes, drop them off, the CDs actually. And uh, he put them in the system, and that was my mix show. At um, so was from it like live? One... 
I wasn't live. I, I pre-recorded everything at home, uh, SoundForge, recorded everything in SoundForge, put it on a CD and brought it over there what up, every week. Which one's SoundForge? Sony. Okay. That was that was the recording software I used at the time. That's fucking dope. So you would mix this all together and yeah. uh, you had a two-hour thing go on. Is there ad slots or whatever that gets put in? Uh, they probably had like jingles but nothing crazy like nobody they weren't selling real advertising at that time they would take like maybe some daytime advertising and fill some spots fill some gaps for the overnight but and i used to get i was living in la salle at that time and you know k103 was not the easiest thing to get inside yes. and i used to come outside and sit in my acura in the driveway and listen to my to listen to myself on the radio and you know in the middle of the winter man that's that's actually fucking cool. Now, here's the thing. I can appreciate what it's like to be excited about being on the radio because I'm old enough to give a shit about that, for real. The first, yeah. My mom, my everybody listened in, and it was cool. I've even got a chance to rap on the Concordia version of CKUT. CJLO, right. So I've been to that one, and I got to do a little one, too, there. And I embarrassed nice. myself with blasters that one time, but both times I was like, "I'm on the fucking radio! Oh my gosh, it's so fucking cool!" I don't care what anyone says. I might hate on radio sometimes because I find it like whatever. I'm a, I'm a pro tech guy. It is what it is. Right, right. But like, uh, if somebody was like, I could do what I want on radio, not like I had to follow rules. I could do what I want yeah. on radio. I'd fuck with that heavy. <clears throat> Definitely, I, that's what you get. That that at the college radio, you get to do that. Like, shout out to Blaster and Ziplock. Like, you know, what I mean, Ill Groove Garden. They've been doing that like i'm one of the guys yeah that rocks a lot of the montreal stuff and that they support too mm. but yeah everybody fucking loves your your overall essence of that show so but i think it's mad interesting that you effectively built up the ability to sell mix were you selling mixtapes like over yes. this period i forgot to ask because you sold a mixtape to a fucking celebrity for twenty dollars this had to light an entrepreneurial bug up in your spirit at some point or another a hundred percent and it, it didn't the bug was planted, but it wasn't, I didn't react to it yet at that point. But in the later years down the line, I kept going to New York to buy records. And like the mixtape game was crazy. Like Mr. C, DJ Kid Capri, Ron G, whatever. All these mixtapes were, they were in your face and Canal Street. And it was like, I was like, I said, why aren't we doing that in Montreal? Why are none of the, why are none of us putting out mixtapes like that? Like DJs were always making mixtapes, but we weren't mass producing them and really selling them. I came back, I hooked up with a printer, uh, and I, wow, man, I wish I had it here. I should have had this prepared. And I had a printer for the first time ever have a professional mixtape cover with a picture and everything printed out. And that was like, yeah, maybe 95-ish or something like that. And uh, from there, then we started. And then when we were at Street Sounds Records, Hold on. all of a sudden now, we, we just, were able to do CDs. Did we just find that out <clears throat> that Don Smooth is the innovator at a Montreal mixtape game? Is that what you just said? I'm not saying that. I'm yeah. saying I'm one of the first. I'm one of the first. We'll yes, I will say out. I'm one of the first. Let's call it seminally important. I believe the journalist in you should be able to accept seminally important. Yeah. Well, because you know somebody, I'll take that. Because you know somebody's going to come out and say, oh man, but I was doing that from 92. But I was in on both sides. I was the DJ and I was on the side of the selling. Mm. So I can honestly say we... At Street Sounds, we were the first to put out mixtapes and start selling them. And then when we got into the mix CDs, like DJs used to come in and tell me they're paying their bills hustling those mix CDs. A mix CD was twenty dollars back then, and people were buying them like crazy. It's not just them. I've had multiple people talk about 
the actual way that they ate off of this too on my channel. Rappers oh, later on. So it was crazy. You are seminally one of the first. Moving forward, yeah. we'll say the guy that yeah. is relevant for this conversation. <laughs> to bring yeah. that to Montreal, my guy, that is like far more important than I think anything else we've talked about so far in terms of actually being relevant history to changing the fucking game. The, it was a big thing. It definitely was a big thing. And like you said, a lot of people ate off of it. You know what I mean? I was a part of it. I don't I don't take credit for things. That's you know, Don Smooth, anyone will tell you that Don Smooth is a super humble dude. But I was definitely a big part of it, for sure. Literally, you have this cap lock, cap locks, move from preaching the chat right now. But no, nah, he's right. Like, I'm sorry. Even if there were seven other guys, okay, who fucking cares? You're one of seven. That's still being the guy. I'm there. I'm there. Okay, like if the Wikipedia is written and the story is told correctly, your name is written right there with the other ones. There were like yeah, multiple yeah. founding fathers. They still, everybody, oh, Americans still all know their names. You're a founding father of the mixtape game. Can we go and go with that? Is that, is that something your humility can accept? I'll take it. I'll take that. Like I said, man, I've I've never stopped to think about everything that I've done and everything I've been a part of. I don't I don't I've done it. I'm in the moment, and then I'm on to the next moment. But the fact that you know your chat and you and everybody showing so much love, I appreciate that to the max. You know what I mean? But I was never doing it for that. A lot of people get into the DJ game because they want to meet girls or maybe they want to make some quick cash. For me, that was not the thing. Maybe that will be the outcome. Down was the outcome at, after a time, but that wasn't the end goal. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's what we're doing here. We're capturing yeah. the the moments. We're cre like we have to kind of reverse engineer drink tramps, okay? We're just doing mm -hmm. it. Drink tramps had a bunch of people who everybody knows the celebrations of coming through and telling stories. Okay. Yeah. We're doing the opposite. People need to know your stories. It's the opposite. It's a need. I like I did not know that you were that important for it. Like that is like you're adding layers. And I'm certain there's people watching that are going, Yo, what the fuck just did <laughs> They didn't know that shit. That's so important that they know that shit, Don Smooth. Don Smooth. Okay, so let me let me drop the Montreal mixtape game. Let me let me drop one more thing, then. And this is definitely gonna have to be in the part two or something. And the next time we speak and we talk, then if you think that that is exciting, I'll let you know about the four or five years that I was a judge for the Junos. My for the guy, category. I think the whole <laughs> fucking world would benefit from that. Yo, people don't understand the Junos. I looked into the Junos. I looked into how it works, and I'm like, oh, wow. Yo, nobody here talks about that like we should be. Kind of like Grand. I was on the committee. Oh. I was on the committee for the hip-hop category for about six or seven years. So all y'all heard it here. In, in round two, we're going to get the Juno breakdown for fucking Don Smooth. Okay, so Tech Luciano, and because people are now highlighting me shit, man. Like, Double Sound Creations said, still got enough of Don Smooth mixtape cassettes in our musical library. True, true, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, these are people, like, I was with from all yeah, the time. Like, Do you know what they're saying? Who the fuck does still that? Has, he's still holding them. <laughs> like, you can't just say, yo, my boy, like, my guy. Like, people don't do that, okay? People don't hold their friend shit like that. So the fact yeah. that they're holding your stuff and bumping it, it's not just an item. You're like, Thank you, Double SH. Then Tech Luciano, I appreciate your passion. We're all passionate. We have fucking Don Smooth dropping knowledge nuggets all over this shit. This is gold. Thank you. You just made my career. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you just, I got co-signed by the voice of the city. It is what it is. Uh, before tonight is over, please emphasize the importance of street sounds. 
Battle of the Tracks and how success on Don's show equated directly to being asked to open up for big acts, etc. Please. So I know that we're going to expand wow. on this in the future, but you got to wow. understand that this is how people my age see you. I wasn't in the game when they were doing this because I was late. I came in older at 20, so I missed all this shit. Right. But consistently, my peers in my little middle brother age group between the young and the old all see yeah. you like that. You were that significant. You know how I know? Every one of them said so. <laughs> I haven't got them up here, but the reps up boys would co-sign that. I'm certain Dirtwork and Magnum and them would co-sign that. You know how I know? I had a chat with Magnum and your name came up. It was off camera. So if, those are my guys. My, true story. My last, my last episode of Street Sounds. My special guest was it was Dirtwork Magnum. I I want to say Eye Blast. I think it was Blicky. They, I invited them for my last show. Which one is? So Street Sounds is your radio show on CK. You no see um, Street Sounds. Okay, break it down. I worked at Street Sounds, the record store. Whoops. Right. This was like ninety six to ninety nine two thousand which was named after Street Sounds, the radio show. Mm -hmm. they, these guys, Street Sounds, the radio show started first. And uh, the guys, like I said, Eddie Lewis, Mike Tuff Williams, and John opened a record store and they named it Street Sounds because the radio show was so popular and they were the ones that provided the music for Heel Kirby. They were the ones that provided all the urban music for the show. So they figure for good branding, give it the same name and people would just put, you know, one on one, two and make a connection. And they really did. So yeah, um, just so that you know how important this is, because I'm going to keep saying that. DJ Damage mm. 4000, for real, I forgot about all this. This is super dope to hear. Yo, What up, DJ Damage? Thank you. If you can learn one thing in the history of recent marketing, you know what sells real well? Nostalgia. I think you are possibly one of the bigger tokens of nostalgia to a lot of players in this game right now. So you got to understand, you could probably talk about the most boring things and people would still fuck with it in a way that like, most of us cannot. Well, I, I got I got a lot to say, man. Definitely. Nah, it's fucking dope. So okay, so you did you did the show challenge thing with the tracks playing back to back? Yeah, we did. Uh, we did something called Battle of the New Tracks, right? So when it when it started, like once again, I came there. This was a part of the format. When I came there, that already existed. But a lot of the times, the Battle of the New Tracks would be like. I don't know, Jay-Z versus Nas. It was the mainstream artists, right? They mixed it up. They would have locals here and there, but it wasn't a thing. So when I came in, I, I followed that format a little bit. But then I said, you know what? This is a good way to squeeze in new artists. Because when you come into a radio station, you got a, a format to follow. I had a playlist when I started Street Sounds. I had a playlist of what to play at what time from beginning to end. But they quickly recognized that I knew what I was doing. And they said, you know what? We trust your judgment. Just go, you play what you want to play. And when I got that green light, I started slipping in the Montreal rappers and I started seeing the, the appreciation of it. And I just ran with it and we made it a thing. But yeah, like I said, man, I had the opportunity. So then I would put up Montreal rappers versus Montreal rappers. And I was like, you know, this is a good outlet for these artists because so now they want to build a fan base. They got to go in there, call up their friends, make their friends listen to the radio get their friends behind them to support them. They got That's how they got to get this start. You want to be an entertainer? You got to grind for it. Make Get on the phone, call up your friends, tell them to turn on the radio and support you. You got to get that support behind you. And that's kind of what we started. And it, it went bananas after that. 
So, like people would, would would offer me money to put their tracks on Battle of the New Tracks after a while, which I never took, by the way. That's the difference between you and the rest of the world and why people give you the flowers and the legends is because you kept it about the city. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, man. Like, when I came into the game, that wasn't really a thing no more, right? And right. I was part of the fragmented fallout. I mean, I don't know how to put it. Like, it is what... It, I, anyway, there's a lot of conversations there, but, like... I didn't have that opportunity because I didn't know about it because of whatever, whatever. And it never really mm -hmm. came back again. And yeah. You know? um, and so, like, I don't know if you know how huge that was because at some point or another, I Blast had a song where there were some girlies basically fucking in the video and that shit was going around my call center at work. <laughs> so, it, was probably rub it was probably rub it in your face. I, I can't remember the name of it. I should. It might have been rubbing in your up. face. He went. He went hard on on the battle of the tracks. So yeah. But like, oh, it might be rubbing in your face. But like, the fact is, Iblast was big enough that he got like into the sphere of regular people. Yeah. And that's you, at the end of yeah. the day, because you created this thing that created a buzz and created a hype and created a glue and created all these things. And if you're saying specifically, you took what was there before, and you're the guy. That specifically brought the Montreal to Montreal thing, then you are literally the guy who created the lane that popped all these people off and gave them the chance they needed. I will definitely, I, I will definitely say I made playing Montreal music cool. That's dope. I made, I made playing Montreal music cool. I'll say that 100%. That's cool because I like to play Montreal music now. I've gotten really into the local scene. And I'm gonna make it cool too. So I, I feel like I'm trying to like you know bring up the spirit of Don Smooth in a lot of ways. I didn't know I was doing that, but now that I talk to you, I'm gonna call it the spirit of Don Smooth or whatever. <laughs> Making Montreal music cool. That's the mission, yeah. you know. For anyone out there that's watching this that wants to see what they can do, make it look cool. <laughs> you know, like, that's it, man. Like there, there, there was times and DJ started asking the the artists for for their MP3s, like. They started bumping the Montreal tracks. People were bumping Expos fitted in the clubs. Like after a while, it was like you you kind of had to have at least a one or two piece of Montreal artists in there to mm. jump to drop DJ sets. You know what I mean? And it was never done before because throughout the '90s, excluding like the Dubmatics and the Shades of Culture, it was always like Montreal was always like America's little cousin that was like ah, it wasn't cool. Like Montreal, like it was there was such a stigma on it, and. In comes the 2000s now. The music's getting a lot better. Production is getting better. They can stand up next to the, the tracks from all around the world. So why not? Why not give them their shine in their city? And that was mm. my thing. I was like, if, I, if I'm on a radio station and I'm not playing Montreal music, who's going to play it? Big facts. I really respect that a lot, man. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I get the feeling you're getting to the point of needing to leave soon. I don't know if I'm right. Well, I said I would give you until 10 o'clock or until people just gave up on tired of listening to us. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I was just trying to read it out properly. Because if that's the case, does anybody still watching this? Because there's still 25. It dipped a little bit, but fuck that. That's deep. It stayed over 30 for almost the whole time, my guy. I'm not lying to you. That's fucking insane for my numbers. We have a serious fucking thing, though. Do y'all have yeah. questions for Don Smooth? Here is a great <laughs> chance and opportunity to ask the man your fucking self. Ask him questions. For real, though. 
You got people still well, thank watching. Thank y'all, people. I see. Shout out to Willie, man. Willie. Ah, we got our first question, though. Shout out DJ right. Bobby Payne. I knew from the first time I saw DJ Bobby Payne that that guy was going to be a motherfucking winner and shit. Just because he's got that energy. I'm a big Definitely, fan of Bobby man. Payne. It is what it is. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, but who are your favorite DJs? Is, who's asking me that? You're asking me that or Bobby Payne's asking Bobby me that? Bobby Payne's asking me that. Who are my favorite DJs? Uh, okay. Uh, most favorite DJs influential. Jazzy Jeff. Kid Capri. Uh, I gotta say, uh, DJ Tough, because that was like the foundation. That's where that was my Mr. Miyagi. Uh, let me see. I had a big influence, so I got him. Shout out my dude from Toronto, starting from scratch. And I love all my Montreal DJs for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. But those, as a DJ, as in terms of being influenced, that I came up and you know, patterned and tried to pick a piece from this one and that one. Those were the, the go-tos a lot. That's dope. Thank you for answering that question. I appreciate that. Um, Lindell Williams, a homeboy, uh, he's he's actually one of the patrons, so I have to ask his questions or he'll like cool. in my comments and shit. Were you a Dick Clark or American Bandstand fan? A Dick Oh, hells yeah. Oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I saw Madonna for the first time. Listen, you have to understand, these were the outlets for the music. Dick Clark American Bandstand was basically White Soul Train. That's where, on a Saturday morning, that's where, th those were the go-tos to see the new artists. I saw Madonna for the very first time perform Like a Virgin, maybe it was 1983, 84, on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. So, did I watch it? Yeah. Did I listen to Casey Kasem's Top 40? Yeah, of course. Amazing. 514 Online Mix, who shut them out. If you were ever open to doing another interview worth pursuing, it's with 514 they, they Online were on Mix. The, they, those were the girls on last week, right? Yeah. Christella, Chris, yeah, I, I watched that. It was very entertaining. But if you were ever willing to do it with them too, it would be a great experience for you. They'd make you look way prettier than I could. <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, no, they, you know they're about it the way I'm about it. That's what I'm trying to say. They're fucking real about it. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Well, I appreciate it. But um, but she had a question. Not to just shut her out. Um, sorry, you gotta shut people mm. out. You know, sorry. What the fucking? Uh, what does Don Smooth think about the radio business today? Is it still popping to you? You know, and I, it's funny that I, I had this conversation with Preach, and um, I was like, because he he started his new show on on CKUT, and I was like, I I question the. It's not popping like it once was. Obviously, not simply for the fact that there's so many different elements. But is it relevant? Yeah, 100%. I, I still believe radio is still relevant. It has to share its space, but it, it's still relevant. There's still a demographic that go, that goes to it. And at the end of the day, I remember when I would be in certain circles and it would be like, okay, you're a podcaster. They're like, oh, you're on the radio? Like the record labels, that was clout. Like mm. the podcaster, they're like, well, anybody could turn on a camera and go on YouTube. But they're like, you're actually in the business. Like you're working radio. Now, of course, it's now we're in 2021. The podcaster's right there or above, actually. You know what I mean? So the labels. Yeah, but if you're, at, at if you're time, smart, you act like preach and you become both. There you go. You know what I mean? But uh, to answer that question, say all that, radio is still relevant. Is it is what it once was? No. Simply for the fact that there's so many different outlets. For example, I have a teenage son. He's 14 years old he wouldn't know where to start on a radio dial mm. and he has no interest in it whatsoever 
Facts. Like, so I don't know where radio is going to go in the next 10, 15 years. You know what I mean? Twitch. That would be my answer to your question. Uh, but uh, another question, and this one's from Vanessa. Uh, what's your next move, Don Smooth? What is my next move? Uh, well, right now, we're, we're, we're all waiting for this thing to clear up, waiting for this COVID to clear up. Um, I'm really enjoying the Twitch. I'm really enjoying the online. Uh, I'm looking to expand on that. Like, this is actually my fourth day on Twitch, and I'm kind of glad it's an interview, mm-hmm. and we're just talking. Uh, and I'm on Twitch tomorrow, Bangers and Mash with Forever Preach, his all house music show. That's so y'all beautiful. can check that out. I'll be playing house music tomorrow with Preach and his team, uh, Bobby Payne and all them J Buns. Yo, can somebody but, uh, like uh, Bonnie? I'm, I guess I'm talking to you. Can you throw Don Smooth's fucking channel in the chat so that like people can go hit follow and make sure to be there for Bangers and Mash and show that love? Because you know that would be dope. That's all I'm saying. Um, we do have more things. Somebody sent you a picture message of your mixtapes to throw up to the camera right now. Are you serious? To your phone or something? That's what they said. I don't know if you could, if that's doable. Oh, jeez! <laughs> um, wow. Also, there's still more questions. We're not done. This is dope, man. People I don't know if you can know. see it. It's, it's fat tracks from Street Sounds. Oh my gosh, records. we can see that shit. That's fucking dope. <laughs> this is like history, my people. Thank you so fucking that's much. Crazy. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mister Mind. Thank wow. you. Wow. Yo, that's dope. Yo, I said it's Q&A and the numbers started going up. Uh, if you were not a DJ, what do you think you would be doing instead? It's hard to say. It's, it's, it's what I've been doing since I've been 14 years old. Um, oh, sorry. That was from T-Lox, by the way. I forgot to say the okay. name. That was really Shout out amazing. T-Lox. T-Lox is one of my mods. Thank you. What can I say? I mean, I've been doing this since I was 14 years old. I'm not saying that I never considered anything else, but I... It's it was it went so well for me, especially when I got into radio that I only saw myself going further and further <laughs> into it. You know, that's but I could say this in my years since leaving the radio, I started my own business. I got a food service business that I've been running for the past five years. So I guess maybe I could say that is what I would be doing, because that is what I'm actually doing. Wait, say that again? A food business <laughs> that you're running for the last five when years? I left radio. When I left radio, I started a food service called okay, uh, Tasty Touch. Is that still an active food service that people should be Very much of? so. They can tastytouch.ca. Obviously, things are on pause because of the COVID, but uh, yeah, we would we, we did the Taste of the Caribbean. That's going to be a, a third interview, Don Smooth, the entrepreneur. I would love that part. You don't understand. I want all of the interviews. I want to get so much <laughs> of the Don Smooth story that we can make like the Don Smooth documentary. Or Sorry, I'm, I know I'm looking rude, but I'm actually just trying to link your, your Twitch. I know it's kind of rude, but it's also kind of not rude at the same time. What was the name well, of the site for... you said? Tasty? Tastytouch.ca. Because I know you can't link it because you're not a mod. So I'm trying to make sure yeah. that people can fucking get that shit done proper. And I'm just running it. And the girlfriend, I think she's dealing with supper. So I'm, I'm cool with that. No worries, my dude. No worries. No worries. Awesome. So now I've linked your shit, which is fucking important. Cause yo, can you just touch on real quick what the fuck Tasty Touches though? We need to get this before you go, cause just in case people only watch this one, it's mad important. Well, it's a it's a food service business that I started with the family, with my wife and my in laws. Uh, we started around 2015, 2016, uh, and we started by doing festivals, and we were regulars at the uh, Taste of the Caribbean every year, every year, and the reaction, the response we were getting was fantastic. So we just kept on building on, building on it. Then we started getting contracts to do events and different things like that. And it's, it's grown. It's grown tremendously. 
Even most recently during COVID, we, we were doing work with the Red Cross to provide for families in need. We were doing that heavily, but since all of the, um, the restrictions have gotten so much tighter now, that has been put on pause, but I'm very confident, you know, we're going to start up real soon again. We're going to be doing stuff with uh, WIBCA, the West Island Black Community Association. It's a lot to get into. Like, I'm trying to give you, like, a, a shrunken... Right, I'll give you the short version. Don Smooth makes dope food, and it's co-signed by Vanessa. Copy shit when it's available. Simple. Link over there. Put that shit in your favorites. When times is good again, buy his food. The rest Tasty of it... Touch people, yeah. That's simple. Listen, this is your last call for questions, everyone. And I'm going to then go on to the outro bit because I don't want to waste Mr. Smooth's time. Uh, but we are apparently... This was cool, though. This was cool. We're going to raid DJ Tempo 0868 because Preach said to do it. So why am I going to question that? I don't really care. I'll raid whoever. But we're going to do that next up. So don't be dipping quite yet. Show some love to the DJ scene if you feel this shit. I'll hit that follow when you get there. That's how you do it. That's how you build the community. And it's etc. Um, how, how do you have any interest in being a tour DJ? I've from... done that. I've I, I've been down that path. Um, uh, it, it oh, that's Willie. Willie asked that. Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, sure. I mean, if 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 the schedule works, you know, I mean, I'm a father of two, so I don't have the free time that I used to have. But you know, if it would fit into the schedule, yeah, why not? Amazing. There you go, Willie. You got to make them the right offer and make it more enticing than that Twitch cheddar, though. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, can't, I can't get paid in bits. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? You say that now, my guy, but that's just being short-sighted. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, no. Oh, trust me. I know the power of the bit game on Twitch. Like, yeah. my son is heavily into the gamers, and I see those gamers, like, yeah. like they, they got to no, turn I see, the I see Don off. Smooth in a year from now. I'm jealous of his numbers. Double set, the one that you keep saying the name of better than me. Who would be all his all-time two DJ to play with? Wow, to play with. That's a good question because it's different than the other one, but it's kind of like that asking is. it. But for about performing now. Ah, uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I could say to play with. I could. Well, for me to look at it like that, because I played with so many, but obviously Jazzy's like, Jazzy's like the GOAT to me. Like, that's the greatest of all time. Uh, if I could share uh, and play with someone like Jazzy Jeff, definitely that would be on the top of my list. Um, you see, I'm more looking at it as DJs that I've never played with, and I had the good fortune to play with many. Um, Jazzy's definitely up there. Oh, DJ Puffy, man, from Barbados. Like, that dude, the Red Bull uh, champion from 2016. Uh, those are two guys that if I could get on a bill with either of them would be would be amazing. I'm not going to lie. I don't know who those are, but other people will 100% appreciate what you just said there. Well, you know who Jazzy Jeff is. Okay, Jazzy that part Jeff. I did know. Uh, the other name and you DJ were saying. Puffy. I don't know DJ that DJ Puffy is a Red Bull, uh, Red Bull freestyle champion. Okay. Um... Sorry, I was also trying to read the questions at the same time. This part's harder than I would like to admit. Um, any current Montreal artists you big on from Tech Luciano? Um, you know, and it's, it's so crazy. Till this day, people still send me songs. I'm like, either you guys have been out of Montreal for the last two, three years, or you don't know what's going on. They still send me songs for the radio. Um, Lou Bags, Nate Husser, making a lot, a lot of noise, big time. 
he's on Instagram. I think it's everyone's a weirdo's his handle. Like he's yeah, he's, 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 he's 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 knocking out the door definitely. Eh? He did uh, an amazing thing for the city recently. Yeah. Yeah. And he reps Montreal. Like he doesn't hide the fact. Like he he's not like getting out there and forgetting about Montreal. Uh, oh, man, he got Montreal placed in that Jake Paul moment. Let's give him his fucking flowers. He got his yeah. song placed the in Jake Paul winning that fight that everybody cared about that I didn't care about, but he won. And then Jake Paul's turning up to Montreal, and that was Nate Huss that did that. That's fucking huge for the city, and everybody. That's big. Everybody owes Nate Huss for that now moving forward because he he put Jake Paul on the Montreal. Like, think about that anyway. Yo, there's a lot of Montreal people I fuck with. I'm not gonna lie, but uh, yeah, and we gotta shout out Dirt Work. You know what I mean? Dirt oh, Work, big facts. Dirt, dirt work. work, man. Like, what more can I say? His resume speaks volumes. In case y'all don't know, Grammy. I think he won the Grammy for Jesus is King, and he's nominated again. And Kate Trinata is also nominated yeah. this year. So shout out Kate Trinata for yeah. the nomination right now. Um, yo, uh, my girlfriend. She she gets special privileges in question line. She wants to know, uh, are your kids learning the family trade? Um, my son is more a gamer. He, he, he actually, he's come out and he's done some gigs. Uh, but I don't, the, the equipment is there. And they know that, like, they're at the age where I'm like, okay, you, now you guys can touch it. Just don't eat no food over it or not like that. Don't come with no drinks when you're near my stuff. But uh, he's dabbled in it and he's done really well at it. But uh, if it's something that he, I don't, I don't force him into it. If it's something that he chooses to do, he knows that he has my support. He has access to all the equipment, all the music. It's there anytime he wants. But he, he dabbles in it, yeah. So honestly, you're not only getting all the life advice. Now we're getting dad advice from fucking <laughs> yeah. Don Smooth, man. Thank y'all for the questions. They're coming in for real, though. Jamal Hussein, and this is a little. We're back a bit now. Jamal Hussein, there's not that many more, but. What, when was your first encounter experience with Black Temple? Wow. Uh, Black Temple, the sound, I had to have been probably motions or, because they were heavily on the reggae circuit, so I probably came across Black Temple probably in like a Soka City or, uh, you know, a church hall basement somewhere because they were more on that, that the, the dance hall vibe, the rugged dance hall vibe. Yeah, I would probably say that. Could have been emotions as well. But uh, I met most of the reggae sounds in the dancehall scene, like when we would party in those those church basements. Mm. So double shout. Big up to Black Temple, definitely. I, that's fair. I'm gonna have to Google who they are after. I'm not gonna lie. That was just like a name I wrote down in my head. Gotta go fucking check that. And Preach might have told me. I actually have a OneNote file, and it took me over two hours to write it out. Where I wrote down every name from <laughs> interview with Preach, and every now and then I, I uh, update it. Um, well, Preach was a selector on, on Black Temple, one of the youngest DJs. Yo, straight up. Okay, I see why Jamal's asking that question. Yo, Jamal's a real one. Everybody needs a Jamal Hussein in their corner. I think Jamal Hussein <laughs> is one of the most impressive and interesting people I have ever talked to. Like, he's so fucking Nicknamed cool. the Martian. He's when so I met cool. him, he was nicknamed the Martian. And he was part of, uh, I think it was Black Gloves, right? Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jamal. Yo, correct us, Jamal. He was nicknamed the Martian. Also, if y'all need your merch done, hit up Jamal Hussein. It is what it is. He'll get that shit done proper at good prices and all that good stuff. Hit up Jamal Hussein. Shout it out like that. Um, Thanks. Diable Shound Creation says, I asked, does he prefer private functions or clubs? Um, as of late, the private. The private. Uh, because 
when you're doing the private, a lot of the times when people are booking you, they're booking you specifically for you and your style. So they know that, okay, if I'm booking Don Smooth, they know what they're going to get and they're booking me for that reason. So then I'm more open. When you go, when you come into the club, you still got a little bit of that. But at the same time, the club might have certain vibes that they're not on. Like I've been to clubs where they know what I play, but then they, they want to restrict you and say, well, we don't want you to play no reggae or we don't want you to play too much of this or don't play no trap. So, But when you do the private functions, it's like, it's carte blanche. You, it's anything goes. You do as you please. So mm-hmm. I would say more and more now it's leaning towards private. I enjoy the private. All right. So that's dope. I think that's it for the questions. Maybe another one too comes through after I do my sound bit. But I want to record the sound bit now if that's okay with you. Sure. Because uh, we are going to have this on YouTube after where we edit it out. If there's a couple of things here or there. And then it gets legacized like that. Because Twitch is temporary. And we do have yeah. like, a YouTube audience that will peep this hopefully. We're trying they to like migrate it. them YouTube audience <coughs> into the interview life. It's like they're learning no, the hard sure. way. But um, before you go, I just want to send a shout out to everybody. I appreciate you mm-hmm. guys. I know how hard it is uh, to keep people on Twitch and to keep people engaged and entertained. And the fact that we had these numbers for three hours, I salute you guys so much. That's Behind that suit is doing real great things. And it's uh, you, I really appreciate it. You're interesting. Now we had, it was fun, man. I get a lot of different. I have the numbers on every guest. That's all I got to say. You're not a king. Yo, because they say numbers don't lie. Preach brought a lot of people here, sure. And that was a great acquisition point from Preach. So shout out Preach for helping that happen. But they didn't leave. And that was you. And maybe partly me. I'm being humble. Of course, I'm being fucking humble. It's a character. This guy gets it. He sees what I'm doing. Um, anyway, let me say that for the people watching. Yo, the second it's off, it's like, yo, that's that. Fuck yeah. Anyway, I'm just letting everybody know. But yo, thank y'all for watching. Because for, for real reals, though, thank y'all for watching. Y'all are live? Yo, fucking VIP shit. It's for real. That is like, my heart is blessed. That is the best number I've ever seen this long. It's like, wow, I can brag about this for a minute at work. And people are going to be like, okay. Anyway, I can't talk much more about that, but I'm going to brag about this. Uh, so thank you for helping make this a bless-ass moment where all bits came in. I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to see what the insight says after. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, all these people you are deserve thanking it, us right you now. It. People are thanking you for what you did and for the community. But, yo, again, sorry, I got distracted. Thank y'all people watching this in the future because, yo, you're important too. So I appreciate y'all for sticking through this because, yo, you watched a fucking crazy-ass long video on YouTube. You're a fucking real MVP and stuff. Anyway, since you're so cool, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. If you're on something else, hit that follow button. We got our first sponsor on Podbeam today. It's going to be worth like pennies, but future is high everyone yeah that's right this will be on spotify after down the line and everything for the people watching this etc so you'll be able to get it on all your fucking platforms anyway special thanks to the patrons is mel Gadamsi, chris prado jonathan barnes dj black hurricane linda williams and scribble the dope they support what we do if you're on twitch and you support what we do there's a little subscribe you pulls and bits and stuff anyways and if you're in the future patreon.com slash behind that suit you know what it is anyway i appreciate y'all for real reels Live long and prosper, everyone.